mercy, look at how the time goes. And welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your host, John Allen, and today we have Robert Marsalis. Hey Rob, how you doing? I'm doing all right, thanks. Um, I'm, uh, I do prefer Robert. Robert! Robert, there we go. I always, uh, every, uh, people say Rob, and I know they mean it really well and really friendly, so I try not to be too uh, rude about it. I, sa- I said it with love. No, but you know what? The uh, And I totally get it, because the name thing is important. You know, living here in Norway, my name is John, which it has to be one of the top three most popular names in America, right? But right. they always want to call me Jon over here, mm. and mm. it just, that doesn't fly. So I politely remind them that I am not Norwegian. I'm American. My name is John. So you are Robert, and that's. Yeah. I have I have other I have friends I've known for many years who call me Rob. So it's not I'm not offended. <laughs> <laughs> no, the name is important, man. The name is yeah. important. Yeah. Now you've been here in Norway for quite a while. I thought I had yeah, been I here a long time. Ninety three. Ninety three. Yeah, so whole, when, did come, when did you come over? I came in two thousand and two, the fifth of June, two thousand and two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I came in October of, uh, of 93. And I remember I came in in October. It was, it was really beautiful. Um, and I just thought like, it felt like I was on vacation. You know, I, you know, I didn't have a job at the time. I came over here without a job and I came because I married a Norwegian. Oh, you poor guy. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, we're not married anymore, but, um, but, uh, we, we did have a bunch of kids together and, yeah. and, uh, and, I, my life is here. Well, it was love. It was love that brought me here as well. Pretty much the same situation, just uh, just a decade later. Yeah, it's so. the rec- it's the Norwegian recruiting program. You know, <laughs> there's uh, there's something with these women going out there and capturing us uh, us uh, attractive American men and dragging us That's back right. here. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So yeah. do you. Um, so okay, ninety three. Now that was, uh, and I was back in the Lillehammer Olympic days. You know, well, that's just it. I, I mean, because I came in ninety three, and and um, it was Norway at its most Norwegian because yeah. they were both debating EU membership and preparing for the Lillehammer right. Olympics. That's right. And, yeah. uh, so they were just like everything in the papers was about what is it that makes us Norwegian, and yeah. it was really people were wearing like very traditional. And this vodman, just you know, this dark blue and leather uh, clothing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And people wearing the knickers, skiing, and it was just really sort of super Norwegian. So when I came over here, well, now uh, it's gone from the knickers to the LL Bean. Uh, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> you know, I I have been here for uh, now it's eighteen years, and I've seen the change in Norway. Yeah. So you have probably seen a dress. I mean. <sighs> Yeah, you know, Norway back in the early 90s, it was just a different country. It was totally different. Well, it was. You know, so was the U.S. Um, you know, sure. I, I, go back, I go back pretty frequently with work. Um, I always have done. I, I, the company I used to work for had office over there, and the, and the clients I have now have offices over there. And so I've, I've been back to, um, I've mostly been back to Houston, which is not my home. But, um, you know, I, I have been back to the United States a lot, and, and I can see how much things have changed. And there are yeah. lots of references I don't get anymore over there. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and there are references here that I don't get. So anything that's a reference here that I've like, like before the 90s, I don't, 
know what they're talking about. And in the UF, if it's references to something more recent, I don't always know what they're talking about. Well, I, I get some of the older references because my, my wife is, you know, she's the same old, same age as me, sorry, same age as me. So she's not like old, she's not like ancient, but she's very Norwegian in the sense mm. that she is pr proudly Norwegian and she likes that old school Norway stuff. And she kind of got that from her father. He's passed now, but he, um, he was born in 1934. So she had an older father, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, so she kind of had a, she, she has a, her, her roots are very firmly planted in Norway. So she brings up some of these old references and these old television programs from the seventies when they still had black and white TV <laughs> in Norway and things like that. And, and, uh, I guess I'm proud to say I, people, I, I surprise people when I pull up a reference here and there from the old days, you know, pre nineties. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, no, that's, uh, it's, it, um, did you find that, that it helps that you're, my ex-wife is is pretty international because she was she had a, an, a Norwegian father and an American mother and she lived her life sort of both places. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, you know, she was definitely Norwegian, but she didn't have she wasn't like super Norwegian. But did did you find that your wife being so rooted in Norway and Norwegian tradition has that helped you sort of integrate over here, or how have you found that to be? I think I think it's helped me familiarize myself with Norway. I don't like to use that word integrate because in Norway that word has more of a tendency to mean assimilate. In other words, drop all that you are and be like us. Right. So in a Norwegian reference, I do not like to use the word integrate. I have adjusted and I'm doing fine here in Norway. And I do believe that my wife's um, that traditional side of her has 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 really helped me you know sometimes she'd like to make us think that she's international because she took a trip or two to venice beach you know back in the 90s and, <laughs> and wore like the bright colored uh you know uh, spandex and leg warmers and whatnot <laughs> sorry snoop that does not make you international <laughs> but uh but she is she's very she is a norwegian's norwegian in that sense yeah. Yeah. So oh, you guys met? was over was over in the uh, U.S. or did you meet? You know, we were we were married. Uh, we, we had two weddings. Uh, we met uh, outside of Chicago. Uh, very interesting. So have I told you that? I think you told me you told you, me that the uh, first time we talked. Yeah. Yeah. That you met. So yeah. I, I won't repeat the, all the details for my listeners. They've heard me tell it so many times. But we we met there outside of Chicago. She was there visiting a Norwegian friend of hers who who uh, had moved to Chicago. Um, now I totally lost track. I'm a great podcast host. What was the question? You asked me, uh, I asked, asked if you had met at Venice beach and I had forgotten. You told me that you had met outside of Chicago. I yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. No. So, so she had been, she was actually a, an exchange student, um, mm. in the States, uh, her last year of high school. She did that in Minnesota. Mm. Um, so that, you know, in that sense, she was familiar with the States and, and, uh, uh, like I said, I met her when she was there on vacation to visit a friend of hers. So we ended up getting married first in Lillehammer, um, an old farm, like a 500 year, year old farm that had been in this family for, for 500 years. We, wow. re we rented out, uh, that farm and all those old buildings. We had our wedding there. We paid less, Get this, less than 20,000 kroners. I think it was 15, 16,000 kroners, which was about, uh, at that time, about, well, about 1,500 bucks 
that's how much we paid for our wedding. Uh, very low key. We only had a handful of friends. Uh, we only have a handful of friends, <laughs> <So> <laughs> handful of friends and family, uh, on her side, her Norwegian. And, th and that's the reason why we had two weddings, uh, yeah. uh, because it was, it just would have been too difficult to match it up so that both families could be there. So we, we, we rented out this farm, had a beautiful wedding there, uh, took a drive through the countryside for a couple three days after that. And that was our honeymoon here in Norway. So as soon as we were married, then we went back to the States where I had my house and she, she moved in, you know, as, as my wife and everything. Um, and then, and that was in April that we were married in Lillehammer, April of 2001. And then in September of 2001, we had another wedding, um, not far from where I was born in Akron, Ohio. And that's when my family and friends, plus her parents, uh, uh, and her brother and his family came. So that's when the families got to meet. It was just crazy logistics, but, but we got it done and we got it done so cheap. That wedding was even cheaper. That wedding was, wow, under, under a thousand bucks. Right. And that comes from, if I remember correctly, you, um, you lived outside of Akron. You were actually out in the country. Yeah. I was right? born in Akron, but when I turned seven, six or seven, the summer before third grade, whatever old I was then was when we moved to a little tiny place called Norton, Ohio, very mm -hmm. rural. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't even call it suburban. It was rural at that time. It's it, since then you can call it suburban, but at that time it was very rural. So I had right. that kind of an upbringing, you know, um, uh, spending days walking out in the woods and, and exploring, you know, the fields and the woods of rural Ohio. Yeah. So, uh, is it, cause that, that's one of the things that um, has struck me is that because Norway, I mean, you have obviously, if, if, you know, if you live in the middle of the city, even if you live in the right downtown in Oslo, you're never very far away from the woods and Norway, yeah. Norwegian identify themselves as being sort of, even our, our rural people, but at least not too far from yes. farm the woods and the, yeah. the fjords and the mountains and all yeah. that. So it, it helps to understand the culture we're living in um, here to understand that well, in, part of our identity. Well, in that sense, when I, when I, when I think back to how I grew up there uh, out in the mm -hmm. countryside in Ohio, it really wasn't that big of a change. I'd, I'd say it was a bigger change for me to go from Ohio to Chicago mm. as a police officer in Chicago. That was a bigger culture sh shock and a bigger ch change and adjustment than it was for me to move from Chicago to, to Norway. Because wow. coming to Norway was kind of like going back home with sure. the, the slower pace, you know, people being more familiar with their neighbors, the rural setting. Um, yeah. So it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad of an, an adjustment. The biggest thing was finding a, a career and learning the language. But both yeah. of those things fell into place relatively quick for me. Within a month, I had a job already. And within three months, I was speaking the language. So oh, Great. Fantastic. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. That's really an accomplishment, actually. Um, I was, uh, I, I met my, my then wife in the United States and we got engaged and married over there because okay. she's, her father, um, her Norwegian father lives outside of Chicago, actually in Evanston. Oh. Evanston. Yeah. yeah. College town. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And, um, and then 
Um, so when we got married, I said, well, I'm going to learn Norwegian. So I started studying it over there. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. And then I took the university's summer school language course that they, that they offered, at least at that time. And, and I that was sort of my big leap forward. So when I moved to Norway, I actually spoke the language well enough where wow. automatically switched to English. The, you know, that's the hard part is it's not getting people to switch to English all the time. <laughs> well, what a relief that or relief. What a, what a, what an easy, you know, entrance to the country when you already have the language down i didn't uh, i didn't learn it she tried to teach i think she taught me how to cuss a little bit <laughs> and and that was about it so i didn't know any norwegian when i came here and that was a big stress factor for me to come yeah. here and not know the language but luckily it went very quick uh, yeah. like within two or three months i was already speaking to people so that was a huge relief huge relief yeah. so you 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 actually learned so you you had it planned that you were going to come to norway then yeah we talked about it before we got married that you know we kind of we, the plan was um sort of we would live in the u.s five years we live in norway five years we come back go back to the u.s and I we see. live in the US five years we and then and then we've stayed roots in norway and have stayed ever since yeah but <laughs> but uh no i mean i i mean i like it here my friends are here now yeah. uh my 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 career uh, the thing that's that i miss obviously is my family sure um, yes my mom lives in florida so uh you know she hasn't ha seen the grandkids grow up as if you know we had lived in the same area um that's rough so that's the, that's the that has been the hardest part yeah for sure that's that's probably the hardest part about being here for me as well um, mm -hmm. because i can adjust i can live anywhere i mean that's yeah. just me but i do feel the distance from my family uh, especially with my kids. Uh, yeah. And then I have my daughter and grandkids living in Kent in Ohio, mm -hmm. right, out, right outside of Kent State University. And that's, it's just rough with everybody being so, so spread out. I, there's no one to blame but myself. I'm the one that lives here. So, <laughs> so you had a plan of, of doing a five-year thing, five years here, five years uh, back in the States. Yeah. So that yeah. means that you must have some sort of dynamic job that demands a little bit of travel. Uh, how does that no, work? We, what is no, we just, we, we abandoned that plan. So, um, and, and as I said, uh, after, uh, after 13 years, we got divorced. So, but, um, I, I worked in uh, Veritas, uh, DMV GL, as they're called now, um, for 20 years. And, and I traveled a lot with, with, with Veritas. So I, I was in, I mean, with it visiting their office, I was a, an internal consultant um, okay. in, leadership in their leadership development uh, uh, unit, which I, after a while, became manager for. But the it meant that I traveled to, you know, back to the U.S. quite a bit, to Houston where they have an office, but also, um, you know, to Busan in Korea, uh, Shanghai. I've been to maybe. Did you say Busan in Korea? Yeah, yeah, I was there. Uh, that's where we did our winter training. I believe it was in '92. I was in the U.S. Marines from '90 okay. 90 to '94, and it was both one of the most interesting and the most painful. Uh, winters of my life. Wow. I got a I got a horrible horrible pneumonia. Oh, and uh, but I I kept going. I did what I had to do. I was I was a driver slash guard for the battalion commander. So when he traveled, I traveled. When he needed right. to go somewhere, I was with him. 
So it was it was activity the entire time, and I was so sick. And you know, I'm not a poor me kind of guy, but poor me, I was so. <laughs> so that's my that's my memory of Pusan. Yeah, it was a fa factory um, town I, with all that nasty air and and oh, that unfiltered factory exhaust. Summertime, and it was so hot. It was um, and and for some reason, they they kept the the heat on in the middle of the summer in the oh. hotel room. So I would come into the hotel room and it would be like fifty degrees Celsius. Good lord, what is that and all I'd, about? And I'd have to turn it down and open the windows and try to get the air out and so forth. But they <laughs> thought that that, I guess that that was good. <laughs> It was horrible. So it was, I just remember it being extremely hot. Sort of the exact opposite. <laughs> but uh, I was just there that one time. But it just it was that that job gave me an opportunity to see lots of places in the world. There you go. In a different way than a lot of people who live in those countries. I was traveling to the big cities. I was staying in nice hotels, visiting yeah. offices. You know, it's different than if you're you know living in the countryside or you know sure. working. You know, uh, you know manual labor job or something like that. So I can't say that I've really seen these countries, but I have seen lots of different cultures. And, and, uh, one thing I always, I got some advice from a guy who was actually in the, uh, Navy, an American guy. And he said, you know, when you do this kind of travel, you don't really get to see the local culture, but one thing you can do is eat the local food. Yes. Yeah. And that will give you a taste of the local culture. And so I always, I've always done that since then as well is that I always make sure that I, go to eat local food. I don't yeah. just go to the international places. Well, I, um, I definitely did not have uh, difficult duty uh, during my time of active duty in the U S Marines. Um, I was stationed. I, I, I came out of boot camp, came out of infantry training, uh, came out of my, my skill set training, which was supply and logistics. And then I was stationed on Okinawa, Japan. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then right away I got that gig as, uh, the, the driver slash guard for the battalion commander. And boy, did that guy take good care of me. You know, when he had things to do, so that meant that I had things to do. So there were periods where it was crazy with, you know, activity and travel and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, every once in a while he would, uh, he'd call me into his office and say, Hey, you know, uh, Corporal Reese, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't need you for the next three days, you know, come back on Thursday. Cool. And then I was out and immersed in the, the local culture there on Okinawa, Japan. I mm. actually learned to speak pretty doggone fluent Japanese while I was really? there. Yep. You must really have an ear for languages. Yes, I do. I think that might be the music side. Everyone tells me it's musicians kind of catch on to languages. I don't know what it is, but I was also fluent in Spanish at one point. But see, here's the thing. Um, when I learned Spanish and got fluent in that, and then I went to Japan or to Okinawa and started learning Japanese, and I lost all the Spanish. Right. And then I came home uh, after the Marines and I picked the Spanish back up. But then when I moved to Norway and started learning Norwegian, I lost the Spanish again. So there's only room for two languages in my head, I think. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm the same way. I, when I learned Norwegian, I, I forgot any French I had learned in school. Yeah. So, Some people yeah. can stack them up. Some people have, you know, three and four different languages. I, I, I just can't do it. I do pick them up quickly, but there's no room for anything else once I have that one extra language. Yeah, I've got a friend. He speaks seven languages, which I've heard is the limit. Hats off! Hats off to people who yeah. can do that. Yeah. But um, no, so I, I was lucky to be able to immerse myself in the in the culture when I was there. I was there for two and a half years. 
hmm. on Okinawa. I extended my duty there. It was supposed to be only a one-year thing, but yeah. I extended two times, first for the first uh, additional year and then a half a year after that. But uh, yeah, Pusan, Korea, wow. So you, you and I probably saw two totally different sides of, of Pusan. We may well have done. I, I was visiting, um, I was, it was a maritime customer, shipping customer. So there's like a huge, one of the big shipping companies over there. And, yeah. and, um, and what was good about it was that I did get to, I mean, I was the whole time working with Koreans. I wasn't just working yeah. with expats who happened to be stationed in, in, the, yeah. in Korea. I was working with Koreans. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking that it was really, so I had been to Singapore before that. And, and uh, I felt like, now I'm really in Asia. I'm where things are a little bit. I'm not quite sure what's happening. I can't read any of the signs. Yeah, um, because so, Singapore is kind of westernized in a British yeah, type of way. Yeah, because yeah, you've got lots. The signs are both English and and Chinese usually. Yeah, yeah. and and um and there's a lot of uh, Indians who live in, yeah. in Singapore as well as Malay, and so you've got you've got this kind of melting pot. Yeah culture in singapore anyway there's definitely no no melting pot in korea all i saw was koreans <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah no, that was the same thing uh and so that was and i kind of i kind of liked that i've experienced that a couple of times once there and then also in india where it's like i just felt like i had really no i really stepped into a different culture a different city people live so differently here there are different smells, different different ways of doing things. Yeah, um, and that was in, in Mumbai. Uh, I was twenty years ago, so things have changed a lot since then. Of course, sure, but, yeah. But uh, you know, it's like where I really felt <laughs> like because it's easy when you're an, an international traveler in business to kind of go to an international places wherever you are. Yeah, but, but um, those both both Korea and India were places where I felt like I had a little bit of more exposure to, to uh, what it was like moving there. Did you enjoy all that travel or did you just get worn out? I loved it. You loved it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did. I, 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 I get a bit more tired now doing the actual traveling, like the flight and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I love being new places and cool. Uh, yeah. uh, and discovering that, people are at the same time extremely different and very much the same, you know. Well, it gives that. you a different worldview. Uh, it gives you a better yeah. worldview because you're actually viewing it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, th I, th I think one of the things I was thinking about when we were talking about, you know, moving here and, and, and the sort of integration, assimilation type of conversation, and, and, I th and I, I, it's one thing that struck me as we, as we were talking about that was that it re that really is kind of the the challenge we have in lots of different areas of our life is to hang on to who, who am i and what's sort of my integrity and what makes me me that i don't yeah. want to let go of and at the same time adapt to the culture around me and the people yeah. i meet and the, and the different values value systems and i think that this is something that maybe when people you know emigrate to a new country go and actually live in a new place you really sort of feel that experience to a higher degree oh absolutely i've never been more conscious of my americanness if i can use mm. that word mm. uh ne never i've never felt that before i came here uh same thing with my blackness i've never i've never felt it in the same way that i feel it being here and i guess it's that whole thing with perspective uh, you know 
time and distance, you know, yeah. I, I, I haven't lived at home for so long that yeah. the homesickness just builds and builds and builds. And one way of dealing with that homesickness for me anyway, is to just keep more, keep a, keep a closer eye on what's going on back home. And in that process, I get engaged in <laughs> some of the things that are going on. You know, I, I, I take a, take a stand, so to speak, and yeah. engage myself in what's going on there. And, and it just, it just amplifies my Americanness uh, and, or, my blackness depending on the issue depending on what i'm focusing on about what's going on back home it's a, yeah. it's a strange situation to be here and observe and not take part it's it's, yeah. a, it's a weird feeling for me yeah. but, but you uh, felt that longer you know you we're, we're going up on 30 years what 30, yeah, we have, 30 years and, and yeah. a long time i mean i felt i think i i because of the internet because of the internet, I feel like I have a closer connection to the United States now than I did say 20 years ago. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was, you know, uh, I grew up a, a Vikings fan. As, you know, I remember going to the Minnesota Vikings game when I was six years old and the old Met stadium. And you know, it was well, that's back in the Fran Tarkenton days Fran Tarkenton, Alan <laughs> and Carl Eller. And uh, I had a poster of Carl Eller on my wall. Uh, my kid. Yes. Guy. Six foot seven. Yeah, <laughs> he was not a small man. <laughs> he was not a small man. So he was my he was my childhood hero uh, in a lot of ways. But um, so I grew up a Vikings fan, and then after living here for ten years, I mean, you know, I, I felt so distant from it. You know, the whole yeah. sort of what you know, I, I kind of lost track. I was reading, you know, uh, a little bit in the, in the Herald Tribune, mm. but I didn't really know what's going on, and then I kind of forgot about him. You know, and then my son discovered American football. Um, and he, and he knew that we were supposed to be Vikings fans. So he kind of got me plugged back into that. <laughs> he knew you were supposed to, he was supposed to be a Vikings fan. I love it. Yeah. Well, he just he knew it. He's, he's, cause he's, <laughs> you know, he's got the most of the family who's connected to Chicago and mine to Minnesota. M Minneapolis said, uh, or Minneapolis? Yeah, I was born in Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, my last address was St. Paul. My brother okay. lives there. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so I said that, you know, that's fine, but you, just so you know, you are a Vikings fan, not a not a Cubs fan. <laughs> or a fan. Some uh, things, but, uh, some uh, things are inherited, whether whether one wants to inherit it or not. <laughs> and foot, NFL loyalty is one of them. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have, I've apologized to him since because being a Vikings fan is very heartbreaking. You're, you every year you. You, but, you didn't know they, <laughs> but didn't they have what was this? Maybe a couple, maybe five years ago. Didn't they have a running back who was like Adrian Peterson? Yeah, Adrian Peterson, was, yes. Yeah. There's some good things happening with the Minnesota Vikings. Things. We, that's the thing is that we, we were never like the Browns who just lost every year, year in and year out. Isn't it sad? Oh my god! Yeah, but it, we were like <laughs> almost good. Yes, or almost great. And that's worse. That's worse. Your hopes dashed every time. <laughs> because Browns fans can laugh about being Browns fans, but right. I would imagine that being a Minnesota Vikings fan is just frustrating it's, because you're hard. always right on that tipping point and that's it always right. tips the wrong way. But, but just the, the, the suspense of being right on the edge of, of being a good team. Well, you know, in Charlie, the Charlie Brown, uh, yes. we, 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 we always pull the ball away at the last second, right? <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence that the, that Charles Schultz, he's the guy that drew the yes, cartoon. Yes. Yeah. 
He's from St. Paul. He's from St. Paul. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's the inspiration of that. That is somebody who, I think Charles Schultz might be one of the first celebrities, if you will, that I had a desire to meet. When I was mm-hmm. a kid, I just wanted to meet him. Yeah. Because it, it, there was something, it, it just fascinated me that someone could come up with the storylines and the characters. I mean, those are some eclectic, dynamic characters in that Peanuts cartoon. And it just fascinated me that this guy came up with that. Yeah, iconic, really. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always had a dream of meeting that guy. Yeah. Minnesota, yeah. Yeah, but um, but anyway, so the because of internet and YouTube, I I know so much more about what's going on now. I was watching, you know, the the local news reports from Minneapolis when when the you know, yeah. protests were starting going on there, and and um, and so you know some of the same, uh, different perspective obviously, but you know a very, uh, it was heartbreaking, you know, to 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 see that travesty you know what happened to right there George in your hometown in my hometown and, yeah. and, uh, and that's sort of being the epicenter of this whole thing um and at the same time wanting to be really engaged at the same yeah. time thinking okay i'm here in oslo i'm not going to go out and start protesting in the streets of Oslo. i don't think that's the way i can contribute yeah so i just thought you know what i'm going to i'm going to write posts and i'm going to when people make uh uh, comments that are wrong about you know racism in the United States, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be engaged. I'm gonna challenge them on it, and I'm thinking, uh, who can I influence? I can influence people like me, middle aged white guys, and they don't listen to the younger people anyway. So you know, maybe they'll listen to me. And that's um, I mean, hats off to you. Uh, I mean, that that's what needs to be done. People need to engage in conversation and debate. People need to correct. The knuckleheads out there who and I and I call them knuckleheads because if you I I, I don't know if you if you don't understand that there's institutional racism, systemic uh, racism in the United States, and there's just I, I don't know. I guess I I don't believe that people don't understand that. I believe that people choose to willfully ignore it. That's yeah. that's what I think. You, so you can't do if, if you don't if you don't. So if you don't have any black friends, if you live someplace where there's not a lot of black people, it's all just coming through your filtered media, yeah. um, then that, it's easy to live in that bubble. Yeah, um, you know, and, and it's, it's one thing to not be aware, but when you see the evidence before you, you know, they do show it on the news, you know, you do mm-hmm. see it on social media. Yeah. Uh, to, to not open up and let that new knowledge come in and 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 work with it and, and and let it roll around in there and then do something about it to not let that process happen is it's a shame it's willful ignorance and who, yeah. who chooses willful ignorance you know I, I think people choose out of fear um, I do believe fear has a lot to do with it yes yeah. fear which it's it has a close cousin called guilt yeah. And I wish people would get off of the, the, the white guilt. I don't think white guilt should be a thing. I think people use the term and the concept of white guilt to excuse themselves from any action. Um, there's nothing to feel guilty about unless racist. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll, well, let me amend that statement. There's nothing to feel guilty about unless you're a racist or unless you see racism and you do nothing about it. I, I think you're right. I think 
Um, I mean, there's this that, that that famous quote, you know, that evil um, happens because good men, you know, stay silent. Something along those lines. I can't remember the yeah. exact quote, but you yeah. know, it's it's so easy to say, well, it's not about me, or it's you know, it's and uh, it is easy, yeah, yeah, and and, and it, but it is. I, I think it's it's uh, some cowardice. People are afraid of it of, is uh, of getting of losing. They're afraid they might lose something. You know, if I let yeah. if yeah. I if I if I let go of if I have to recognize that okay being born white and male and, and when I was born has meant that I have had advantages that my fellow, many of my fellow Americans have not had. If I, if I acknowledge that maybe I lose something, maybe I, you know, maybe yeah, you I, know, yeah. I, I think. That I say, and I, and I, I say it's the exact opposite. <clears throat> if a, if a white male can admit that they are just by being a white male, that they're in a position of, of privilege, uh, if they can admit that, that that takes a lot of strength, that takes a lot of self-awareness. And then I say, take it a step further. Okay, you've acknowledged your privilege, now use it for something good. And it can be so simple as being active among your friends, among your peers, and correcting things. Yeah. You know, when they, when they say the wrong thing, when they do the wrong thing, uh, when they show the wrong attitude when it comes to race, you know, correct them, step in, and let them know where they're wrong. Yeah. Because I think most people are decent. And when they are corrected, when it has anything to do with racism or misogyny or whatever it may be, I believe that most people will take it to heart. Maybe not right then and there because it's an ego thing. But I yeah. think most people are decent people. And maybe afterwards when they've calmed down, if they were embarrassed by being corrected, when they calm down and things start to roll around, slosh around in their, in their brain, I do believe most people will adjust their course. I truly yeah. believe that. I don't know. Maybe that's naive, but I, tru I, I truly believe most people are decent and, and self-aware uh, and, and they want to do good. I, I think... Um, I, I was just something I, I thought about this, something I heard when I was in my studies that I, I has meant a lot. And I try to bring it back every once in a while to myself. It's something that we call the second naivete. Yeah. So there's one thing is to be naive and just sort of, you know, think, Oh, the world's a wonderful place. And you know, nobody, yeah. there, there are no bad people and nothing bad can happen. And, you know, there's no racism because we're all sort of, you know, that doesn't that kind of like in America is too, it's too great a country to make that happen, you know, that that's, that, that can't possibly be yeah. the case here. Cause that, and that's a naivete. Yeah. And then you, you, you have some sort of, um, crisis, something happens when you see it. And I think a lot's happened, happened now is that with, with, um, with George Floyd is that people couldn't look away. You know, right. It was, it was so right hard. there, very graphic right there in front of them. That's right. And so, and so what I think what you're describing is, you know, we say, okay, now what I do now, do I just say, well, people are just hopelessly racist. There's nothing we can do. Um, just, you know, burn it all down or whatever it's going to be. Or do we say, I, I choose to be naive and say, mm. I still believe that, you know, it's possible to build a good society that we can, you know, live together and understand each other, even though we have differences and we even though we well, agree. I'll, I'll say this. <clears throat> Like I said, I, I truly believe that most people are self-aware to the point to where they will make changes. They'll change the course of their actions uh, if they're made aware that they're mm -hmm. doing something wrong. And when it comes to racism in the United States, of course, you have your blatant racism. 
uh, that we've been seeing on the news and you see it in, in right-wing extremists and, and nationalists and the Klan and this, that, and the other. You see that. And of course that's there, but I also, th- and, and that's obviously a problem, but I think a huge problem when it comes to racism is the ignorance of a large segment of white America. But I have a tremendous amount of hope now because of these incidences that have been going on for the, for the last month or so, yeah. it has brought an enormous amount of awareness so many people and I, I I see some of these people getting crushed online when they say, Oh my gosh, I never knew it was like that in America and they're getting destroyed by trolls. Yeah. I don't do that. I just mm-hmm. take it for what it is. This person is admitting that they didn't know that it was this bad. But now they're with us in the movement. So let's yeah. use that. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? So yeah. so so and that's where my idea that most people are good people comes into play because I think now we can just have so much momentum that it will bring about significant and lasting changes in the way our government is run, in the way uh, police departments are run, the judicial system, you know, from the top down. I believe this is a, uh, we, we have momentum to make some significant changes and put a damper on systematic and institutional racism that's that's my naive naive warm-hearted thought yeah but yeah. that's i think that's the way that that martin luther king and gandhi thought yeah was that people are decent they they do actually care about other people if they're given the chance to are you telling me i'm gonna get shot on a balcony for thinking this way less chance of that here at least. that's terrible am i allowed to make a joke like that i just did so i must be <laughs> my podcast <laughs> um but i think it's, you know, the, the, it's this conviction that people can make moral choices yeah. and, and when they know i think and, and when you see the humanity that was the thing about the about the the murder of george floyd was that he it was you saw his humanity humanity you could yeah yeah it, it was it was so in your face he was yeah. literally for almost 10 minutes begging for his life yeah. there was yeah. a crowd of people literally for almost 10 minutes begging for that man's life for George yeah. Floyd's life. And, and it's, it, I think it was presented for America in a way that it's never been presented. And I use that word presented. I don't mean any disrespect, but it was, it was put before us. Let me say mm-hmm. that it was put before us in a way that America has never seen before. Before it was just a yeah. short little wobbly video clip that was easy to interpret in polarizing in a polarizing fashion one way or the other but this you can't get past what you're seeing right there that's right yeah and i think people and if i'm if i'm going to be naive i do believe that people when they are confronted with another person's humanity that there is a connection we do see and and then it's and that happens a lot and i've got family um that I think are have some will say some things generally they're they're very right wing part of my family is very very right wing and, and they'll say things about say about gays or yeah. you know about feminists or or, or well, I've never heard them be explicitly racist it, it's hidden you know yeah you kind of yeah uh, be, yeah right but if you roll they, if you roll up that carpet you might see a lot of dust under there right yeah, yeah a lot yeah. and and uh, anybody. 
when they, my, my brother is, is gay. And so when he introduced his partner who he'd been with for, I don't know, 15 years before he came out to, to, to my whole family, they were so welcoming to him. They were so warm. I was, I mean, I get very, I get, you know, touched and emotional yeah. when I tell yeah. it because it's like we were so afraid that they would respond, I you see. know, sort of based on the rhetoric. Yeah, yeah. That's not, that's not happening because here, you know, my brother, they've known since he was, you know, born. Yeah, I was going to say it's different when it's family, maybe. Maybe yeah. that opens a lot of eyes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I also think that maybe we had made assumptions about them that weren't true, that we had thought, oh, they're like, you know, yeah. They're like all those other sort of, you know, yeah. right, 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 hateful people. So I think that maybe we misjudge them. And I don't think them. I don't think there's a single group of people or a demographic out there that is a true monolith. You you will find so much variation mm. in different groups. You know, so so you can't say, you know, pe- people can't say they're kind of they're kind of they're, they're messing up when they when they have this preconceived notion about what a gay person, a gay man, is supposed to act like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to see, you're going to see so much diversity within that subgroup. Yeah. Um, I, I, I come, I come across a, a couple of examples. There's two guys at the gym that I train at or used to train at. Everything's been shut down. <laughs> uh, who, um, I think I met both of them back in 2001 when I was here on vacation to visit my wife. And so, so I've known them for, for 19 years, never, never, never knew that they were gay. And then it just came up in casual conversation a couple months ago. Mm. It was like, Oh, so, so, you know, when people have this preconceived notion of what a gay man is supposed to be like, well, a gay man, maybe he's supposed to be just what he is because you just don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, what does it mean to be? And there's the foolishness that shows the yeah that shows the foolishness of prejudice. Yeah, you know, you cannot have that preconceived notion because your notion is. I'm not saying your notion is wrong, but it's not the only way of describing that demographic or that type of person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how have because I know that you've talked to you've done some talks, you've been on on TV, you know, because you have <laughs> yeah, unique, about unique perspective. You're a black American, but you're also an ex policeman. Yeah, uh, and so you you probably are able to give a perspective that um, very very few people here in Norway can. Um, have, <laughs> have Norwegians been open to 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 your talking about it? Have you found that that what have you been received in these times? Well, since. Well, since my podcast episode, um, it was my episode 28 is the one that kind of went semi-viral and got mm. all of this this media attention. And um, since then, I'd say for like the last three, almost four weeks, I've been very well received. Uh, my My inbox is getting flooded with people asking questions. Mm. Um, it led to a radio interview. It led to a, a TV crew coming home to film me here at home. It led to, uh, the, the biggest, one of the biggest experiences of my entire life being on the breakfast TV here, here in yeah. Norway. Yeah. Um, everywhere I, I, I don't know. I, I don't go out much. I'm pretty much a homebody, but today I was all over the place running some errands and everywhere I went, people were I mean, they 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 recognize me from that. Okay. Norway is not Norway is not that big. 
no. of a country, you know, as you said, uh, and as you said, now, now maybe I'm getting a little more attention. And, and as you said, I, you know, th there's not a lot of black, uh, power lifter, former cops from the United States living in Norway. <laughs> so, so when you put a guy like that, like me on TV, people are going to notice it. So it's been, it's been very, very interesting today, uh, just being out and about here in town and people recognizing me and coming up and at least giving a nod. Norwegians are, aren't very open, but, but, a, you know, giving a nod or asking, oh yeah, was that you on TV? You know? <laughs> That's so, amazing. I, I have to tell a story that when I first moved to Norway, I mean, like the day that we landed, yeah, um, and uh, we were staying at um, my uh, my mother in law's uh, house, and and I decided I wanted to go for a walk around the neighborhood to see. And there was a guy out, you know, mowing his lawn, and uh, I waved to him, you know, <laughs> and he stopped and he just stared at me. <laughs> <laughs> Like, do I know you? What are you do? What are you doing? <laughs> I uh, I've done that every time we've moved to, and we've moved a lot here in Norway. And every time we've come to a new house, and and I've gone through that whole thing of waving yeah. at the neighbors and getting that yeah. stare, like, <laughs> yeah, do I know you? Or I know I don't know you, so why are you waving at me? You know, very very Norwegian. Yeah, but I I must say that because my my friends here now are. are um, mostly, most all of them are Norwegian. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not really involved in the American community at all. Um, uh, I have some American friends, obviously, but but um, the people I normally meet, so yeah. they're all Norwegians. And, and, uh, and it's not like all, we Americans are congregated in one place. We're kind of spread out. So so yeah. so any any meaningful connection is usually through social media. Yeah. You know, I, you know, yeah, we're just, we're too, too spread out. It's not like we get yeah. together and have a picnic every weekend. Yeah. But it's interesting to have a, a, a profile, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a platform now uh, with, with my podcast, which then opened the doors to all of this, this, this media attention. It just, it blew my mind to be able to sit there <clears throat> on uh, good morning, Norway Good morning, Norway, as it's called. Good morning, Norway. Good morning, Norway. And talk, and be heard, and be questioned, and and talk f and speak from that platform. It, it blew my mind. There's some people who are used to it because they that's yeah. what they do. But this was the first, and maybe the last time I ever had uh, the the chance to do that. It was amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. And and the the weather lady, Isabella Martinson is as beautiful in real in in person as she is on tv <laughs> i've had a crush on her for 20 years and i finally got to see her so hello isabella <laughs> no, it was uh it was an interesting experience but i i think it, it seems like kind of like it is in the states where there's this wave of new allies it seems to be the same thing here in in north to go back to your question you know have yeah. i been have i been have I been taken in? Have I been accepted? Have I been mm. heard? You know, since all of the stuff, stuff has been going on. And the answer is yes. Yeah. In, a, in a huge way, like never before. I used to consistently have Norwegians try to tell me that I, I don't know, was, was, was too focused on race. And they would say that 
at the very first conversation we ever had about race and maybe it was something that they had brought up but if they bring it up i'm gonna i'm gonna as the kids back home would say i'm gonna spit my knowledge yeah right <laughs> and uh Boy, I'm so cool using phrases like that. <laughs> uh, cool <than> me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I, I think that's the first time I've ever used that phrase. So I'm not that cool. <laughs> um, no, but you know, they if they bring up the subject, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of knowledge on it. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to vocalize that, and then it's almost like whoa whoa hey 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 back off, John. I mean that's that's, that's you're too focused on that. Hmm. And that's been a typical response up through the years since I've been here but it seems to have stopped and swung around to openness, to curiosity, to a desire to be an ally from these, yeah. from the Norwegian people that I've had contact with here. So it's been, it's been amazing. It's been, yeah. I think, I, I think there's really a, uh, there's a momentum now towards change in that area when it comes to race. I think, I think it must be possible to get some, have some hope now. I mean, it feels I do. like, I feel it's you know, good. I have hope. I've been accused of being naive. I accuse myself mm -hmm. of being naive, but I but I have genuine hope. I mean, yeah. you can just look in the streets um, at these protests, and some of these places are overwhelmingly white people who are in the streets. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. I've never seen that before. Not for this cause. Not for racism. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's going to be some change. I think there's going to be some s significant change. Yeah. Lasting change. So. Uh, yeah. Um, I think we, we, we had some correspondence earlier, and I think you, you were right when you said that we had, there's also some changes that need to be made at the top. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't... Um, for, for those who are listening, you know, when I talk about race and all that stuff, I'm not being, and I put this in quotes, political. I'll stop being political. I'm not being political. I'm talking about the difference between right and wrong when it yeah, comes to race. Exactly. But I will say this, <clears throat> there needs to be some political change. Uh, we need to have a different president at the top because that man is not interested in having a meaningful debate, a meaningful, meaningful discussion about uh, institutional racism. There's not a single person in his cabinet who will uh, ad admit that yep. there is such a thing as systematic racism. Yep. That says a lot right there. So when you've got that at the top, um, you know, th there can be legislation, you know, Congress, you know, the House and the Senate, and then ev eventually maybe uh, the, the Supreme Court can do things to get around any opposition that the president and his cabinet might give. But it just doesn't look good <laughs> when it's like that at the top. It, it doesn't, and and scares and, um, me. It's scary. It's scary. I think. I too, and and I think we're probably very much aligned um, around around the pre about what we think about the president and so forth. Uh, what I'm what I'm also naively hoping for is that also white Republicans start to see and say this is not the way we want things to I be. I think they are. Yeah, I can't. I can't come up with any names, but I know there's some senators and congressmen who have, quite clearly, very openly and clearly stated that they would like to see some sort of change yeah. at the legislative level. Um, you know, to to address this whole issue with uh, with uh, systematic racism, and that's very promising because it's so easy for me anyway to get this image of Republicans being, if not racist they're at least very, very indifferent 
to mm. the plight of, of people of color in America. It's yeah. very easy to fall into that and think that they're all like that, but it's, it's refreshing. It's refreshing and it gives me hope to see that there are Republican uh, congressmen and women who are standing up. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, everything we can do to encourage them, you know, uh, to continue with that. Times are changing. You know, you, you're in a, you're in an interesting situation. You told me earlier, um, you at the age of 57, find yourself in a, in a situation where you have to almost remake your life. What's, what's going on with that? What's that all about? Well, I can, um, how's, how's that for a good segue? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll try to, I'll try to connect some dots too, because I was, uh, yeah, just to get a, a little bit of background, um, I'll try to give my whole life story. But I, I mean, I, li- I worked for 20 years in in a big company, international company, very secure co- company, and and things changed. You know, even there, you know, there was there was a, a merger, and my job situation changed, and and uh, so I was. This was in 2016. I decided. Well, you know, I've been. I've been safe in this. I've had a steady paycheck and I've had a sort of very secure job and everything else. And, 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 um, I wanted to be able to do more of what I know I'm good at. Okay. Yeah. I wanted so to be bored directly with clients and I wanted to be able to, um, I'm, I, I enjoy public speaking. I get feedback that I'm good at it. How's that way of doing humble brag? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I really enjoy coaching, you know, one-to-one uh, working with, with both managers, but also, um, you know, professionals of any kind. And, and, you know, um, and it's, it's, it's like, I want to spend more time doing what I'm good at and less time what I'm not good at, which okay. is some of the more sort of corporate, um, administrative type of focusing on systems and tools and that kind of thing. And I, and I really am engaged or when it comes to what leadership is about is connection with people. Yeah. It's about having a vision about where you want to go. It's about being able to connect with the people that you want to go with you. And it's about making sure that you have the skills and the, and the tools and the systems that will support that. But it's it's like things have changed, and I had to change too. And I made that choice to go out. Now, since 2016, things have changed again. Yeah. And um, you know, I have I've seen the you know the it's been, it's gotten progressively harder each year to get new clients and to sell projects. Now, and now then, let me let me let me pause you right there um, yeah. to get new clients. Okay, you you you've said what your job is, but what is your job? You know, what exactly do you do? Right. So, um, I, I think you could say that the, the two, two main things. One thing is I help companies with their leadership development. So I design leadership development programs and I deliver them. I, I hold training courses in being a good manager. Okay. Um, and what that, what that entails. And a lot of it focuses on communication and building trust and personal growth. So being willing to look at yourself and say, this is, this is what I do and how it affects other people. And this is how I can change that to, to, to be more effective as a, as a leader. So you don't, so you don't do that internally at one business. You, you act, you, you, you sell your wares to different corporations. Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I will get a project with one company. Okay. And I will 
sort of deliver that for them. And 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 part of what happens is that you kind of use yourself up in a company. I see. Um, I right. see. So I'm like, okay, well, we've seen, we've we've gotten lots of help, and it's been a couple three years now. And thank you very much. And you know, we think we got it from here. Mm. Or we want to bring in somebody new who has a different. So 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 you don't want to you don't want to fix the problem too well too quickly because <laughs> if you get all those corporate bigwigs uh, and put them in their place, then they're done with you. There's no no more work to do. Right, I'm not. I'm not very good at being cynical. Uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> it's a learned. It's a learned trait. It's a learned trait. So, so I do that, and I also work one to one with them. We, okay. we call it coaching, but it's basically one to one conversations uh, in addressing either very specific um, challenges or issues that they have. Maybe it might be one employee, or it might be their general growth. What they want to be better at, okay. perhaps they want to be better at listening. That they want to be better at at being, um, you know, strong in their opinion with their, with their colleagues, whatever it might be. I'm kind of comparing that to a, to, to what an artist would do. I mean, you're leaving an imprint. You're, you're, you're reshaping or you could potentially reshape a company. Well, you're, Almost you're, you're, you're remolding right now because that's exactly what I, I think it's all about creating an organizational culture that supports what the company wants to, you know, what kind of company do you want to be? And there's a mm -hmm. saying that um, culture is strategy for lunch. Uh, you know, that no matter what your, stra your, your strategy is, if you don't have a, an organization that is um, pulling in the same direction, yeah. then that strategy is just a piece of paper. You have to have the people believing in what you're trying to be as a company. So you, you leave your fingerprints on that, you know, you, you leave a little drop of, oh, that sounds disgusting. I was going to say a little drop of DNA. Let's just say <laughs> you leave, uh, you're leaving your fingerprints, your impression uh, on these companies. That's got to be a good yeah. feeling. That's got to be so a great job. I, mean, I go in with a point of view. I don't go in as a sort of a, um, I'll do whatever you want me to do type of consultant. I go in with a perspective uh, about what makes a good manager, what makes a good leader. Uh, what makes uh, what makes for a good company culture? Do you get uh, a lot of satisfaction when you get uh, these gigs? Because if you, you know, it's kind of like an affirmation of your way of thinking when yeah, they hire you to do this. I, mean, I believe in it very strongly, which is why I do it. And I think mm -hmm. this is why I studied theology. Um, we, we didn't talk about that, but I did. Uh, I, I got my degree. I'm glad you mentioned that because I did want to bring that up. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, and I, I am not a, um, I'm not an ordained minister, and I decided not to do that for various reasons. But, but uh, I, I have this I, personality where I need to do something I really believe in. Yeah. Um, and 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 you know I, I'm not very good at just doing things to just to get a paycheck. I, I feel like I have to believe it and I have to be burnt, you know, passionate about something to do a good job. That's why most of my time here in Norway, I have worked for myself. Yeah. There's no egoism in that. It's just a certain, well, I guess there is to a certain extent because I want to satisfy my creative need. And that's very difficult to do when working for someone else. It's very it difficult is. to do. If, if, if it's someone else who, and you're aligned with what you, with, with what you believe in and what the company believes in. And, and yeah, but that's so dynamic. That can change. You could be, you could, that's exactly right. That, that changes. Yeah. You could feel yeah. pretty solid with that cooperation with your boss or your coworker or your, your, your co-owner and things yeah. could be going fine for five years, but all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe they, maybe they get divorced and they have more free time, which enables them to work a little bit more, which makes them feel like that work should 
translate to more influence, more control. And then all of a sudden you're in a conflict with someone that you had a great working relationship for. Gosh, I'm talking so negative. I guess I'm just pointing out how things, how that dynamic can change. Even if you are satisfied, that can change. Whereas if you work for yourself, you decide all of those things. Or, yeah, I mean, you still have a certain amount of the same dynamic. I mean, I, my, my biggest client awesome. right now is um, we have a very good ma- match in what I'm trying to, to bring, what, I, what I'm teaching, and what they believe in. Okay, yeah. So, so it's, yeah, I'm definitely influencing, their, <clears throat> but I'm influencing them in a way that they already agree with. So like it, it, it harmonizes well. If, if, I, if it were a company that was, had a very mechanistic approach to, to leadership, yeah. you know, very sort of incentive or, or punishment um, yeah. driven way of, then, then I'm not the right, I'm not the right person for you. You know, if you want somebody who's going to come in and have a very humanistic leadership, then I'm the right guy. How prevalent is the humanistic style in Norway or is it more of a mechanized uh, black and white numbers thing? Which one, um, is, which one dominates in Norway? I mean, I, I think that Norwegians see themselves as being very humanistic, and mm-hmm. I, and so it, it's like if it's part of your self understanding and part of your mythology, then there is more of it. So it's I don't want to be, go straight to the negative. I think there's a lot of there is a lot of that, and it's it fits with the sort of their self image of how a Norwegian company is. We're very you know flat organization. You can you can call the boss by his first name. You can call the top boss by his first name. It's all very sort of yeah. Um, sometimes what happens is that when you get in a press situation, like we're in right now, right, the economy is under a lot of pressure. Some companies lose that. Yeah. Also here in Norway, and it, and it, and and there's a. Then you wonder how deep it really was to begin with. You know, if it's if if it become it goes back to so well, it's just all about the numbers, and yeah. you know, we treat people, you know, you know, brutally. Then because that's what's ne- what's necessary. Yeah. And you wonder how much they really believed it at the begin with. Right. But I, think, I think that there is, um, a, there are a lot of companies. There is a, a this genuine desire to be a, a, have companies be a good place to work. People like being here. People believe in what they're trying to do together. We want to have good managers, but I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to hazard a guess as to what percentage of companies no, are actually living. No. But in general, I would think that it is a much less law of the jungle environment here in Norway than it is back home in the States. I, I, I can remember my days of employment in the States and it was, it was, well, you know how it is in general in the States, you know, there's always somebody who's, who's looking to take your job and yeah. you've always got a boss who's looking over your performance and there's very little labor law to protect to protect right. you so when you mix all that together it seems like it can be pretty hostile from what i remember and I very good you get to you get to this what is the self-image what is the what's the mythos of the united states corporate culture um it's you know individualists every everyone yep. for themselves yep. doggy uh, dog. you know it's, yep. it, it's that that self-understanding helps drive that yep. so even though a lot of the things that that I teach that people say, well, that's very Scandinavian. It's very Norwegian. It's like, well, I've gotten it from American leadership, you know, writers and professors, 
you know, the, these these guys are all working in American schools, but the the, the college the the companies aren't living it because you still have this. Right. Yeah. You have to be you have to be really cutthroat to be to be successful, yeah. and and that's I, I think that that is a is a myth. People who are people who are afraid and don't trust each other don't do the best work. I think people who who are trying to achieve a common goal, you can you can cut, have cutthroat competition with your competitors, yeah, but not with your colleagues. Right. I totally agree with that, and it seems yeah. to be uh, it seems to be that that is the way of thinking here in Norway in general. I, th- I think it's it's definitely fits better with Norwegian culture, um, and I think generally I think you're right. Generally speaking, that's true. Um, how to do that in a good way is the hard part, you know. So when you voiced to me that you're in a period of change, um, uh, you know, a period of reinventing yourself, what does that entail? Have you, have you, have you, um, have you changed the way you work? Um, do you, have you, have you a new set of goals? Are there some new challenges in front of you? Did you make those challenges yourself? Did you choose those challenges or were they placed in front of you by circumstance? Um, to answer the last question first, I think circumstance has been driving a lot of this. But then I make choices given that circumstance. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that the being an independent consultant, you, you're you very vulnerable. Absolutely. Right. So, you know. That independence this. brings vulnerability. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but it, it, you still have the same, you know, economic rules that apply. If you want people to buy your services, you have to offer them something that they will find valuable, right? Yeah. They have to know about you. You have to, they have to know about you and they have to trust you and they have to want what you're offering. Um, and as a provider, I can only provide services that I believe in that I think will make a difference, the positive difference. I, if I, if I'm not adding, adding valuable to a client, then I, I don't do, I can't do that. I, that's, I'm not good at going through the motions. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I want to keep working in a way that allows me to get that mess my messages across that keeps making a difference on cultural organizational culture. But I th- the part that I'm trying to think about what do I need to do differently is maybe the time of sort of a, the consult selling consulting services as the only way that I try to make money that may be too vulnerable. So, I see. So you want to diversify. Diversify. Maybe there are different ways to make an impact. Maybe more focus on one-to-one coaching. Maybe more focus on writing. Uh, you know, you have you write to, too. Yeah, I, I, I've been trying to do more writing, especially lately. So it's um, working it's on a novel, novel, or is it, uh, or is it? Um, well, I'm working on um, a book. I think it needs to be an article first, and and then, and and you know, the the people I know that have succeeded at this have started. By writing, um, I've got two friends in sort of different uh, uh, parts of my life who have been successful in creating this kind of career. Do lots of public speaking. Yeah, uh, been on Umor Nordia several times. <laughs> Three friends now, um, and um, and so I. But I see that you, to do that, you need to you need to get people aware of you without you having talked spoken directly to them. They need to sort of you need to get. And these people did it by writing, by pr- pr- writing producing some sort of book. Yeah, 
exactly. And um, and getting just you know you 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 need to get a good reputation and have people talking about you, but you need that reputation needs to be wide enough. I see. So, People like the work I do, but I need to have that spreading more wide. So I need to think differently. And then to be honest, to, to be honest, I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. Okay, so it's still I, in I'm, its developmental stage. Absolutely. So you're still packing the parachute, but you haven't jumped yet. Right. Okay. So what what I I and and you know I know that a, a, like a lot of a lot of when they coach you, you go to a coach, they'll say, well, what's your plan? You know, this is what you're trying to achieve, and this is your these are your milestones and so forth and so forth. And, and when I work with people, often the first question I will ask them is, well, what's important to you? And I'm, so I'm trying to you take my own medicine and say, you know, what is it that's important to me? What is it that that I am willing to risk everything for? What is it that I'm willing to to be willing to embarrass myself for? Yeah. Um, you know, what is it that I'm willing to, to you know, to, to really be loud about? Um, and... You're still working on answering those questions, or? Well, I know it's not like it's because I mean I'm 57. I've I've, I've, I've <laughs> been processing this stuff for a good 37 years or so, um, and and a lot of it. I mean, it, it, it's and what I'm starting to sort of condense it down to now is about how do we make connection? You know, so much of of business now is leans on automated systems yeah on technology and that's given us a tremendous efficiency more efficiency than we could ever hope to achieve by just doing things with human beings but it means that we're in these areas where we are still using human beings there's a reason we're using human beings instead of machines what is it about being human that's still necessary in corporate life and in organizational life and in, in the public sector why do we need people? What do we what do we offer? You know, that's a good question. And I wonder if the answer is the ability to make Yeah, I don't know, you can program a computer to be able to make decisions based upon the circumstances, but that that human element to put feelings into that decision-making process. I think that's important. I mean, a machine doesn't know, a computer doesn't know what the customer wants. That's a feeling thing. And a computer it program is. can't feel. A computer, yeah, an it, it, algorithm exactly. doesn't feel. No, it doesn't. And it can it can maybe simulate, but it can't. It doesn't actually feel anything. Exactly. And, and as human beings, that's how we connect. Yeah. We we make these little micro judgments about is this is person I can trust. Does this is person care about me. Um, are they trying to rip me off? Are they trying to to just get my money? Yeah. You know. You know. And and then there's also you know in terms of leadership you know does, does my boss care about me trying to bring yeah. out the best in me or are they just trying to you know meet their goals and i'm just you know a way of meeting those goals and i'm you know mm -hmm. cast aside am i am i important as a human being here and that's what so much of leadership is about is about yeah. that human is, leadership is fundamentally human activity yes you can't but replace it, that with a machine it's not going to work and, and we, even when we're talking about now about digitalization or artificial intelligence, automation, all these things, you know, we, you know, what is it that we need the people for given these systems? Well, it's that customer interaction. The customer wants to, you know, I want to, for example, this podcast episode, if you and I were just talking on the phone, 
that's one thing, but it's something else to be able to see you here on the yes. screen, look into your eyes and you can break that down even further and say that when people are buying a product, um, you know, if I'm on, if I'm on Amazon, for example, I'm going to buy a pair of shoes. Uh, I can look at those shoes on the screen, but maybe I want to touch them. Maybe I want to feel how light they are. And then I'm going to want to talk to somebody, a salesperson. Have they worn those shoes? What's their experience? What have other customers said? Things like that. And that's, and again, that's, that's that human, that's that communication, that back and forth dialogue with a real person. I think it's uh, for me, the word that, that, um, encompasses what we're talking about is connection. Exactly. And, but it thinks if you Google connection and you look at images, what comes up is picture of people sitting down a computer. That's I think that's really interesting. Uh, Wow. we think internet connection yeah right? and and um technology can help now you and i can talk to each other and see each other's faces while we're talking and that and that is a, a big step along the way but at the same time i look forward to today that we that you and i can sit down at a table together and you know and talk over a cup of coffee or whatever yeah. um, um depending on the time of day perhaps but <laughs> but you know it, <laughs> but it, you know it's it's there is this need that we are we are biological beings, and and we need that that connection. We need that we need to hear a real voice in our ear. We need to see a real set of eyes, uh, you know, that handshake. You know, uh, if we have, if we can ever get back to being able to shake hands, you know, after this yeah. COVID stuff, you know, the handshake, the physical contact. Yeah. Uh, you can't replace that. There's nothing in the digital world. There's nothing in the data world, computer world that can replace those things. Yeah. And, and although having said that there is this generate, the current, gen- my kids, for example, they don't know anything, hardly anything about a telephone conversation. Yeah. They text everything. So, and I, and I see when I put them on the phone with family back home in Ohio, they're a little, they, they stumble a little bit with that that connection, <laughs> that interaction of actually having to hear a voice and respond to it in a conversation over the telephone. I think it's, it's we see it more easily in our kids. Um, but yeah, I, because I, I miss I miss those things. I'm going to miss. You know, I kind of try to shove away this digitalization uh, and, and you know this digital connection thing, this internet connection thing, and I'm trying to uphold the physical human thing. But my yeah. kids probably will never do that because they don't know anything other than what they know. Do you see what I'm um, saying? I, I do. I don't know if I agree. Though. Is that scary? Will your job be obsolete? <laughs> human beings. I think we're hardwired as human beings to to want that, but it's scary at the same time. Connection scary. So you and, think and people? We, you think people will 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 continue to have that desire for for connection connection yeah. conversation a real right. set of eyes but, and but yeah but we're getting worse and worse at it i see yeah if, if, if i talk i mean well, we definitely are that generations i think i mean ever since the industrial age where people started being treated like machines right yeah uh, when i talk to managers the thing that many of them have the most difficulty with is the the interpersonal part i see yeah so i, I think that i think that it, we see it easier, more easily in our kids, but it, I think it's true for us. I think it's true for the generation before us. 
we've been getting worse and worse at how to make meaningful connections. And it's becoming more and more necessary. So what's it going to well, take? Is it going to take that, uh, you know, that executive at, uh, at Apple to get down on the production floor? You know, take off the suit and tie, put on a pair of coveralls and work with his uh, employees? I'm, I'm old enough to remember when they were something called management by walking around. Yeah. That was an actual yeah. thing. Yeah. You walk around, you talk to people. And they're just not doing that these days. Or? Um, some do, obviously. But yeah. it, I think that what's interesting now is with the, with the COVID um, reality in the, in all, and everything happening over, over uh, video meetings and so forth. Um, people have been saying, well, what's going to happen when it's over? Are we going to continue working from home and doing video meetings? Or are we going to go back to the office ever? Um, and others are saying that maybe we'll be even more focused on meeting face-to-face that will become we'll, we'll, and i think it kind of we don't know yet i don't think we know what's going to happen well, but i think no matter what we're going to have to be better at making human connections whether it's over the internet or not because i was thinking it could be it could be that you know people want to go back to the to the real connection thing or it could be that the corporate fat cats see that they can save some money by closing a few office buildings and just letting their people work at home and pay for them to have a good internet connection. Um, I think there's, I'm sure there'll be some of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But if we're thinking of a little bit longer term, what's going to happen with society um, and development of society, um, there's a book by Johan Hari called uh, Lost Connections. And it, he, he uh, is writing about depression and anxiety. And, and he, he, you know, the, the point of the book is that we put spend a lot of money on medications for depression and anxiety. But what, what, what research has found and what the point of the book is that the best medicine, so to speak, for against depression and against anxiety is connection. Yeah. And against drug abuse. Ah, uh, yes. And against crime prevention. All of it. All of the things that we struggle with in society the, the 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 best remedy for all these things are human connection. Well, I know for a fact if I'm having a rough day, if I'm feeling depressed someday, and I'm just sitting on the couch in my underwear, there's a site for you. Um, and and you know, just down in the dumps and depressed. That's hard to do if you get a visit all of a sudden by your best friend. Yeah. You know, we sit down and we pull out the guitars and start playing and singing. Well, all of a sudden, I'm not depressed anymore. I at least I at least have put on pants, but <laughs> but 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 you know there's there's something about that that's that's medicine as you say it's it's it it fights it it destroys depression, yeah. um, it can fight uh, problems with addiction that human connection, feeling like you belong in a group or feeling like somebody actually cares about you, yeah, yeah. and I, that's what I th- I think is sort of a the the secret ingredient and that, and there's research that backs this up and that's really what I want to write about and 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 try that's you know something I'm not quite sure how it's going to manifest yet so you haven't started writing then I have started writing okay but it's very much starting writing I see I see writing's yeah. hard work writing it is work. I've been trying to do that for 300 kilo than it is to write a book <laughs> I've been trying to do it myself for for a couple of years now yeah uh trying to get started well i have gotten started on a book but it's just it's it's not it's not easy i I, i've got a good friend who who has written lots of books and i said you know how do you do it how do you write a book he said 
Well, you type chapter one and then you start writing. <laughs> and you know what? It's really not harder than that. Yeah. It really isn't. I think no. we put too much thought into it. You know, I was talking with another friend of mine, another expat uh, American lady who lives in Denmark. Yeah. And we were talking about, she wants to start a podcast. So she called yeah. me up for some advice. And I told her, I spent so much time. I bet I spent about four months researching podcasting. Yeah. What's yeah. the best platform to go with? What kind of microphone should I have? What's the best mixer? How often should I put? And in the end, I got so frustrated. I mean, I'm talking about hours and hours and hours on YouTube and Google researching this stuff. And in the end... I just went out and bought a new mixer and a couple of microphones and started my podcast. Yeah. And I, and I truly believe it is the same thing with writing. Um, yeah. I, I'm not going to scrap the book project that I have, but I, but I am putting it aside and I have started a new one. It's going to correlate with my um, uh, music releases with my singles, basically yeah. at one chapter per single. And, uh, and, and that'll be easy to do because I love me. I, I love my music. I think I'm, I have the best music out there. Otherwise I wouldn't write it and release it. So to write about that will be easy. So it's really that simple. You just write down chapter one and start writing. And I think it's, and, and also, um, to think it's an iterative process. You go through it over and over again yeah. and it's like, but until you start writing, until you start getting something down to, to, to work on, you know, you're just, just waiting and, yeah. and waiting can be a good thing if it's intentional waiting there's yes, a yeah a Taoist expression i think it's i think it's Taoism. it's a the, the, the wise warrior sits beside the river and waits for the bodies of his enemy to float float by uh, and it's it's I like I think the, yeah because you can't force it you can't right. Right. This, you can't say this is what's going to happen but you do have to actually be at the river you have to be you have to be present and you have to be awake and aware. That's so well to, stated. That's so yeah. well stated. That's a good way of looking at it. I like imagery like that metaphor imagery. Yeah. Yeah. It's the yeah, artist in me, I guess. Yeah. So how did you get from being, uh, how did you get from studying theology to not even going to church at all? How did that happen? That's a heck yeah. of a journey right there. Yeah, it is a journey and it's a journey. It's not like one thing happened, but I mean, I, I think to start with, why did I study theology? And I grew up in the church. Um, you know, my mom still goes to church every Sunday. And, Lutheran? Uh, Lutheran, yeah. yeah. And, and my brother's active in his, his congregation, and, and so it's, um, it's very much in the family. I've always wanted to know, I've always wanted to understand the meaning of life. <laughs> I've always wanted, and it's really, it's true. I've always... I've always been like, well, what is this all about? Why are we here? Yeah. What are we doing? That ever since I was a little kid, that has been this kind of just curious design. about your existence. Yes, and the only way I knew how to do that, having grown up in the church, was to study theology. Um, and I, you know, I I studied philosophy a little bit and as an undergrad, but it was always when I was thinking about what should I major in this. It's like, well. What are you going to do? You're going to open a philosophy shop? You know, it's, it's very much, you know, it seemed like an unre unrealistic approach to take. But I thought, well, I can study theology. And, and it was meaningful for me when I did as well. Um, but I've always had a very um, ambivalent relationship with a lot of uh, church life and, and the okay. teaching. And, and, and I've, um, I didn't always know how to handle it. So I, I, I kind of got, I got too good at just, 
making everything fit in when it didn't feel right for me. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and well, life happens. Um, I, I had, I had cancer. Um, and oh. yeah, I, I don't know if I've, I've mentioned that before, but yeah, I, I had can- cancer, um, testicle cancer in 2000, 1999 to 2000. Okay. I got better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I was, thank goodness oh, for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and that actually was one, I'd say that was one episode in my life where I really started to think about, well, what is this all about and what's important to me? Yeah. And I realized, okay, well, yeah, I, I do believe that no matter what happens here, I, I'm going to live my life. It, what matters is the meaning of this, you know, whether I live or whether I die, it's meaningful yeah. no matter what. I don't have to achieve some certain markers to make a, li- a meaningful right. life. It's right. the process of living that makes it, that makes it um, worthwhile. That was still true. When I got divorced, my world crumbled, to be honest. Uh, and a lot of things that I thought were true, the deals I had with God and so forth, um, looked like they had been betrayed. Um, and so okay. that, was a, that was a big blow. But I wouldn't say I stopped going. I didn't stop going to church then, but I did. That was a very significant realization that maybe the faith I had wasn't very much mature. Now, why, why, what led you to that thought? How, how do you connect that realization with being divorced? Well, because I prayed my heart out. I see. Um, and I know that my, my ex-wife did too. And we did everything we were supposed to have done. And, yeah. But you know, we just, we were the wrong people to be married. And you couldn't yeah. get around that. And I didn't, you know, that may be strange to blame God for that. But, you know, I kind of thought, you know, hey, we've got four kids, and we're trying. We're not very good at it, but we're trying. So, you know, God, keep up your end of the deal here. We just need a little bit of help, and that help didn't come. And what was God's end of the deal? Well, from at my perspective, then was keep us together and make us a happy couple. That was. I was see. What my I mind. see. No, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not saying that's what he should have done, but I'm saying that. But that was where your mind was at that time. Right. Yeah. So what happened was that it challenged the way I thought about God and faith in a way that I was open up to uh, different understandings. Maybe there was no God at all. Maybe I had misunderstood everything. Maybe I need to think in different ways. And when that happened, when I opened myself up and didn't try to fit things together that I didn't really feel like fit together, then I started to say, okay, you know what? I do believe in a divine force that moves and creates and we can work with that divine force that, that is actually towards, you know, you could call it the, the moral arc of the universe that is bent towards justice. Like Martin Luther King said, that's one way of understanding the movement of God. Um, you can understand it as the creativity that comes out when you play music. Um, when, when, you know, I write or, or, yeah. or talk, hold speeches or whatever, that creativity that comes out that brings people back closer together, that anything that moves us toward love and justice and, yeah. and um, a deeper understanding of what it means to be alive together. Yeah. That is all, for me, what I consider to be God. But what stopped making sense to me, and I don't want to offend anybody out there, I'm not saying that you're, anybody who believes differently is wrong, but I'm just speaking for what became meaningful for me and what stopped making sense to me, what stopped making personal sense to me was the idea of Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And if you believe in believe in Jesus, you get to go to heaven. That didn't 
make sense to me anymore. It just, it, it provided zero meaning. I see. Uh, and, and I think that's my unique perspective on it. And I don't I, think it's I, that unique. I don't think it's that unique. I think a lot of people think something quite similar to that. Right. Yeah. But I still, I still, um, I would say that, you know, Jesus still is a moral teacher for me. And, yeah. you know, when I, when I hear, um, you know, conservatives talk about how much they love Jesus and then they talk about, you know, liberals, uh, as, as if, you know, we were, you know, evil people. Yeah. And it's like, where, See, you know, where, where did Jesus say that? Yeah, you, know? you know, I just can't get it to match up when people uh, in politics, uh, start throwing uh, religion around like that. I just can't yeah. get it to match up. I, for, for, for yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. Uh, I can empathize. I can sympathize. Uh, I like to think I'm an understanding person, but I don't see where they get some of this BS where they justify what they say and do through the Bible. I don't, I right. don't get it. I don't understand yeah. where they're, where I don't understand where they're getting that from at all. Right. So, so anyway, what it, what it, what's it stopped me with is that I still try to create meaning by having, by living a meaningful life. You know, what is that? Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like that is a divine impulse. So I speak about divinity. I speak about God in the sense, in a very, but it's a very impersonal in the sense that I don't have, think of the, so the old guy with the white beard, you know, <laughs> in chapel, that, that's not my picture of God at all. Um, and I, and I miss the church. I miss singing. Ah. Uh, you know, I, I, that's I where I got my start with my singing in church. Yeah. In church. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, you know, um, and I miss one hour a week having somebody do some reflection and, and, you know, thinking about things and being challenged. And I miss the, the fellowship that you have, but I can't go there and say, you know, I, I, I'm a sinful being and, you know, thank you for your grace. And, and that's why I'm able to, you know, continue to be here. I just, it's it just, I kept, stopping when I was trying to sing some of the Psalms and, and trying to, I see. And, and yeah. so I never say never. Uh, some of my friends are, are Christian, but I just can't do that. You use the term sinful being. Um, um, I think that everybody sins. Uh, but to say that, one is a sinful being to me that just sounds so final like there's no hope for you <laughs> you're just yeah. going to that's what you do you use you, you you sin i, I grew up lutheran <laughs> yeah yeah uh, as as most minnesotans have yeah so we studied a seminary so so it's uh, i mean i, I and, and I, so I'm, I'm just kind of pointing that out because i hear people use that term uh, uh, quite often when they're speaking of religion and when they're speaking of their beliefs. And I don't think that God has intended for us or expects us to be sinful beings. But to me, that just sounds like you are just dripping with evil. You're going to const constantly do wrong. There's no hope for you. And I just, I can't believe that God would, put us in a situation like that. I can't believe that God would create the world and the people in it to be like that. I don't think so either. Um, I just and I that's something I can't get behind when I hear people preaching that, that we are sinful beings. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I, I don't think so either. Either, And I think, you know, you, you can certainly understand that 
what the t- t- teaching behind that is, is that we're not living the way we're supposed to. That's right. You know, that we're, but I don't know that if this sort of transaction of the forgiveness through the cross is necessary to to make to make a move from but, the, not in the way we should to, to we, we need to change. But how about this concept? We are living uh, a good life. We are living as we should, but we mess up from time to time. Yeah. Which to me, to me, that is the exact opposite of this concept of we are all sinners. We are yeah, all sinners. Yeah. That just sounds so final, and yeah. there's just no hope for you. So why even try? I think it doesn't meet. It doesn't match reality. I mean, it you doesn't. think about your children. You know, they're not these. They're not born into sin. These horrible people. They 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 do they do dumb things. Um, and and at the same time, there you we see our children and we say, wow, there's a beautiful human being. And they're going to make mistakes, and they're going to struggle, um, but they all they know is that they're loved and supported, and that's that is that goodness that's there. Yeah. And yeah. we just have, you know, we just if we would try to, that, so that all of that, I think, I still have. I have a lot of what I have a lot of what I took from the church is still very much inside of me. Yeah. The moral foundation, uh, you're obviously still reflective. You still mm-hmm. can think on things religious uh so it's not like you've turned your back on religion it's just that you've you you've you've turned away from the studies i i i have um i've opened it up for me for me i feel like i've opened up and if i could find a place where all of this was like the what we if everybody believed this way we could go and go together and (laughs) and and have you know potluck afterwards i would go to that church (laughs) you know and we've been sitting here now for what maybe 10 minutes talking about religion 10 minutes Mm -hmm. talking about religion and yet i hear constantly oh you can't talk about religion that's one thing i'll never talk about is religion and my question is always why I think it's fascinating. I mean, uh, we're here, you know, we're on this planet. How did that happen? Yeah. Uh, you can go with the, the, the more scientific thing that's devoid of any religion, or you can go the religious route. And if you go the religious route and think it through, it's a fascinating occurrence. It's a fascinating set of occurrences. And don't you like a good discussion? Don't you like potentially a good debate? What's wrong with talking about religion? Why do people fear that? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I, it's um, it's funny because a lot of people are afraid to talk to me about religion. They'll talk to each. I'll be at a party and they'll talk to each other about it, and I'll be sitting there, and I don't <laughs> want to jump in and sort of. Over, I just sit there and listen. Nobody ever asks me. <laughs> <laughs> but they know. But they know that you used to study, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, but and, they and, ask you. Or maybe maybe they think that I'm going to be, you know. Uh, start preaching or something. I don't know. I wouldn't. You know, I I I love. I like talking about uh, religion. I also like talking about politics. When people say you should never talk with uh, with your friends about uh, religion and politics, I just I don't. I don't know. I, I don't dig that. I think it's a good thing to talk about those things. You 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 show a little bit of yourself when you get into discussions like that. And I'm not, I guess yeah. I'm not afraid to show myself. I guess that's yeah. what it is. I think that's true as well because these are very deep things, and people are a little bit afraid of. Will our friendship tolerate that? You know, if I if I say so I believe in something, and and you don't believe the same thing, does that mean we can't be friends anymore? Yeah, you um, know, yeah, yeah. So somehow it's gotten to be that way for very many people, but I just uh, I can't get on like that. I have to. I have to. It, it's it's an exploration. You know, I'm searching. And in that searching process, I want to meet people who don't agree with me. 
yeah. <laughs> they might, I might learn something or I might have the joy of actually teaching them something that makes their life better or they yeah. can do the same thing for me. I mean that, that the potential for those two things to happen is, I mean, that's, that's what the search is all about. It's funny because I mean, I remember um, a, a friend um, who had a, she was so different, she had, uh, a dancer, uh, Tai Chi, you know, very spiritual. Mm. And um, we were talking about God and religion. And she said, well, you know, I believe I'm God. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you wow. Crazy? <laughs> <laughs> um, was but, she high you know, at the time? She was not high at the time. And I kind of understand. <laughs> I, I, I have, but I would say that from what I was talking about, about we're, you know, how this creative force that moves within all of us. And if we, if we don't, our, our sin, so to speak, is when we don't listen to that creative force. When we don't listen to that thing that's moving us towards love and justice and, and connection and brotherhood. And when we fight against that based on ego or fear yeah. or hate, that's sin to me. And so the sin still has meaning, but I'm not willing to say, hey, we're so sinful that, you know, the end, that yeah. we're hopeless. And the only thing that we can do is hope that that, that, that was a... a Propitiatory sacrifice. You know, I, I'm I'm pretty well knowledgeable about the Bible and and uh, <coughs> excuse me, the Bible and all of its verses. And I can't find any in the New Testament, at least. I can't find, or I don't recall seeing any reference to mankind as sinners. I believe that is a man man-made construct. I believe that those words have been uttered by yeah, ministers, uh, uh, reverend, you know, priests. Yeah. I don't believe that that is anywhere in the Bible, at least not yeah, in the New I Testament. They would certainly claim that they built, that they, they build their theology on the Bible. I mean, I, I don't want to defend it or, you know, and that's not to, say, yeah, that's not, that's not to say that any of them are being blasphemous, but I do believe that in the process of, putting the word of God out there, some of their own interpretations come out Yeah, and their interpretations. I mean, it's human to interpret things individually. But I would say that even the Bible are interpretations. I mean, we have the gospels, right? You have four gospels are telling the same story four times, yeah. four different interpretations. Yeah. You know? So, so I, I, and, and, you know, the Bible was written a long time ago, uh, long times ago. So it's, you know, plurality um so we're trying to make it a book that matches exactly what it would be like today i think is a is ridiculous and, and that's one of the problems i have with like sort of militant atheists is they they take the bible and say we're both obviously it's idiotic you know just it doesn't yeah. match any of our scientific knowledge it doesn't match what we know about i find that to be just dumb yeah um, you know and, and they, they'll come with the argument that oh my gosh you believe in fairy tales if you think there's some uh big white guy with a long beard and white robes up there looking right. at you. And, and right. my answer to that is that's not what I believe. Right. I, I don't believe that that's what God is. Uh, I, I, it's hard for me to put words on what God is on what I think God is, but he's not some guy with a beard up there. So see, that's right. something that the diehard atheist has. It's, it's like a false narrative. Right. It is a false narrative. You know? It is just a straw man. You know, it's like, but unfortunately a lot of, a lot of, uh, public religious figures still talk that way, right? That's and true. It, That's true. Yeah. You, you can, you, you know, when you've got uh, 
some of these guys there like yeah he's very much an old white man with a beard <laughs> you know, that's, that's what god looks like uh that you can you can sort of see that but um i, I think there's a, a lot there are a lot more of us who think very differently around yeah, yeah. i don't understand. and and again with the Tao, they would say that you know what is the Tao? anything that you would describe as the Tao is not the Tao. and the Tao is kind of a way of speaking about my, at least my concept of god which is anything that you would say this is what god is that's not god yeah. it's like the finger pointing at the moon you know yeah. type of thing yeah. so it's uh, i find it fascinating i know a lot of people don't find it fascinating or don't think it's meaningful but i I do, and I wish there was some way to to um, build on this. You know, maybe, maybe you know another podcaster, Russell Brand. He does that. You know, he talks a lot about God and religion, um, and he has his own perspective on it. And I, I think that maybe that's maybe that's where things will go. And maybe there's yeah. a, a like somewhere in that sort of non non orthodox way of talking about about religion i'll never tell anyone what they should believe in but i do and, and I, I guess i won't say this i would never voice what i'm about to say to an individual but i'll say in general i think that those who don't want to talk about religion those who won't even think about it or discuss it are selling themselves short because i believe that everybody even an atheist is spiritual mm -hmm. Not necessarily religious in the classic sense, but spiritual. There's something in their life that guides their moral compass, that sets their moral compass, that guides them in what they're trying to achieve, that gives them a sense of belonging, a sense of, you know, that desire to do good. Yeah. And I believe that that can be called spirituality. I think everybody has that. So... If, if, we, if we accept that, that everyone is spiritual, then to not even discuss religion, I think they're doing themselves a, themselves a disservice. Yeah. It might be that people are a lot more willing to talk about it. We're all more willing to talk about it than we realize. We sort of assume everybody else just doesn't want to. <laughs> well, I think some people have the, the, the image of talking about religion means that I'm trying to convert you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some people are just thinking that. So if they would first, you know, lower their lower their defenses and, and, and just jump into that conversation. You know, if they have any kind of a philosophical mind at all, it's, it's just a great subject to talk about. Do you consider yourself Christian? Oh, absolutely. I am. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Church of yeah. Christ. Baptized when I was 10, I believe, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. Church of Christ. Church of Christ is very different than the Lutheran Church. It'd be yes. interesting. What, what, what is it? Because uh, is it sort of the Unitarian Universalist, or is it more the sort of uh, not say Pentecostal, but more the sort of Church of Christ is just the bare, as Mark Twain would say, the bare bodkins. <laughs> it's it's mm -hmm. it's it's straight from the Bible without being without being ultra Christian, without being uh, fanatical. It's straight from the Bible with the with with the man made opinions and and wild interpretations removed for mm -hmm. example in the bible there's many passages about um you know lift up your voice and sing yeah and, and you know and it doesn't say lift up your voice and your bass guitar and drums and, and keyboard and sing mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's why we don't have we don't have instruments we just sing a cappella mm -hmm. which is a great thing if you're going to be a uh 
a musician or a singer later you, you've, got, you've, you've got to learn how to sing because there's no instruments that are going to cover up any uh any uh discrepancies there <laughs> no so the, so the church of christ is just straightforward it's not a lot of ceremony you know when we take communion it's very simple um uh the glor the glor and and everyone forgive me if 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 you're offended but the glorification of the priesthood mm. is not there in the church of christ you know the minister the preacher is just another member of the church an elder mm. or deacon if you will and mm. there's he has no more of a special connection to god than you in the congregation have mm. so it's, so it's things like that that keep it very simple um there's not this intimidation thing there's not this finger pointing of others who are not christian or are not in the ch in the church you know mm. it's a very open thing it's it's about trying to live the life and 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 live the example and um uh, you know in the hopes that people will be curious and and ask and then come and that yeah mm. it's it's uh it's not this brutal, ultra evangelical type of thing that you'll see in the Pentecostal side, and right. it's not this ceremonial type of thing where the priest is elevated a step above the congregation that you would see, like in the Lutheran or the uh, Orthodox or the Catholic. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. You do have a congregation here in Norway. Is this Church of Christ? There is that's and that's something that me and Snoopy looked into before we came here. There is there at one point there was a congregation somewhere around Stavanger, but they dissolved in like the middle '90s. So since then, there has not been a Church of Christ hmm. in Norway, and. So, talking about the way the Church of Christ does things and how the, the, the preacher, the minister, is not elevated above the congregation, I, as a baptized Christian uh, in the Church of Christ, I could start a Church of Christ here if I wanted right. to. Right. And it would be totally legit and, and recognized by the other Churches of Christ wherever they may be, in the States yeah. or, or wherever. I don't know what kind of reach they have in other countries. Um, but I, I could do that. Right. I could do that. Um, and then, uh, but then having said that, <clears throat> we also go by, very much go by what it says in the Bible where uh, uh, God says, or actually this was a, uh, this is from Jesus himself, I believe, where two or more gather in my name, there also am I. Right. So that kind of removes the absolute necessity of congregating in the building in the church yeah. the building yeah. is not the church the people or the person is the church in other words yeah so so it's 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 as it's a very straightforward i call it relaxed interpretation of the way things are, are presented in the bible it's interesting because it's it's uh i think one thing about um having a very a some simple principles it gives you more flexibility so that you can yeah. just accept you can you can be because i think people get too caught up in the ceremonial aspects of religion that if you don't do this then you're wrong and hmm. if you don't hmm. do that then you're then you're a sinner yeah. <laughs> uh you know it, and it's yeah i don't know that yeah. ceremonial aspect of it i, I don't know I, I shouldn't say anything bad about it. i'm not trying to say anything bad about it it's, it's just very foreign to me because that's not the yeah. way our church 
was. I love organ music. I, I, I still, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad we had organs in our churches, but um, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I think that there's something um, very uh, hopeful and beautiful about v- variety that, you know, and, and, and one of the things that I, one of the reasons I don't feel like I have to say I'm either Christian the way I was Christian earlier in my life, mm. or I have to be a militant atheist. Yeah. I'm just a very difficult to define thing now where um, I give myself permission to do that, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I think that's kind of that, the, the, if, if you have too strict of, of, of structures, you're not going to survive. Well, I, yeah. The way, I, the way I look at that and the way I was, I was raised, you know, I have my belief, I have my faith, uh, I am a Christian, and I'll never try to push that on anyone, ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of my listeners are like, oh my gosh, he's a Christian? <laughs> you know, yeah. because I don't, I don't push that. I just try to, I just, I just live my life according to those principles. And those principles, there's no judgmental aspect to that whatsoever. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of the, that's the source of a lot of the anti-religious thing that's going around is that a lot of Christians work really hard at trying to push their beliefs onto others. And yeah. that's where a lot of problems come. So, so I just, I just live my life. And, and, and if anyone is curious, if they ask like, like you did, you know, then, then mm-hmm. I, I tell them and, mm-hmm. and nine times out of 10, it opens up to a discussion very similar to this one. I, I love talking yeah. about it. It's, it's, uh, I'm fascinated by the whole concept of spirituality and religion and, and, mm-hmm. and what happens, you know, uh, Heaven, you know, do I believe there's a heaven? Absolutely. I don't think it's a bunch of angels with wings and, and harps and, and, and things like that. Right. But they're, yep. they're, they're, you know, my, I, I have a belief and I have faith in the concept of there being a heaven. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I think it, it, the, the faith that we have manifests themselves in different ways. I, I suspect that, you know, we wouldn't have to dig very deep to find ways that your faith and what faith you grew up in and the way you, the way you believe it now and the way you talk about it now has impacted the way that you live your life. And oh, yeah. the way yeah. your, your, what, what you, what you, your values are as a podcaster yeah. and as a musician and as a power lifter, which requires self-discipline and, and yeah. you know, and as a, as a Marine and so forth. And um, I, I would say the same thing that my, both my history in the church, but also the way that I sort of, you know, I'm sure many people would find a far too abstract way of thinking about God and faith now, but it really impacts my life and how I, when I'm trying to make a decision about what's my next step in my career, yeah. why am I focusing on human connection? Why am I talking about, you know, being human in the, you know, in the context of technology and, and our, our, our autonomy, uh, I mean, automation and, and artificial intelligence. Why is autonomy so important to me? Why, you know, why are these things, why is creativity so important to me? I think that's comes, these come from my convictions, yeah. which come, are connected to my spirituality. Yeah. Um, so I, I think for me, it's kind of a spiritual act to, to, make dinner for my family, you know, sure. absolutely. And that's why I yeah. say, I think, I think everybody is, is spiritual. They may not mm-hmm. know it. They may not want to admit it, but everyone is spiritual. 
everyone has something that guides them mm. in what they do. Everyone has that inner voice or that figurative, um, you know, little figure on their shoulder, that conscience element. That's spirituality, right. man. I truly believe yeah. that. I do. I, I do too. I don't. I don't want to say. I. I. I, told, I try not to say you're a spiritual person to someone who doesn't believe that they are. Oh yeah, no. I'll never try to pound it into someone's head. But but uh, but uh, but that, that's my belief. Yeah, that's my belief that uh, that everyone has an element of spirituality that that's that's in their life. Everyone has something that's guiding them. Something that they hope for. Something that they've never seen or felt, but they believe in. Something. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I, I think if Donald Trump would allow himself to feel the connection he has with other human beings, and would be would understand that the, the the love that uh, that is in the world and even within him, deep down underneath all that, he would. There's a potential that even he would change and not be driven by ego and fear and narcissism and so forth. Yeah, that's that's my that's my prediction. <laughs> He, uh, I don't know. Is he a lost cause? He's seven. What is he? 74 years old? Uh, yeah. well, probably. I mean, 74, he, he, 74 he, years he, old. And he, and he yeah. fear and, and, and defense mechanisms. He tries to blow himself up as this big, tough guy, you know, Mr. Law and order and this, that, and the other toughness and, and yeah. great strength as he, as he says. But I do yeah. believe that those statements and that's all they are statements yeah. because to me his actions show so much fear and uncertainty yeah i truly believe that and and you know and i say these things and it's not because i hate the president everyone says oh, you you must hate the president no i don't hate that man i feel sorry for him and i wish yeah. i want him to be successful because his success is our nation's success mm -hmm. so i'm not trying to yeah i don't know i, I feel sorry for the guy yeah, I, I do too. I, I do. I, I, I think he's a sick old a man. Very person and a very a person who's convinced that the only way he can be worth anything is if he puffs himself up in a way he yep. doesn't believe yep. he, he actually is. You wrote something once that I thought was really good, which is that the stronger you are, the more gentle you are. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with, uh, with physical and mental strength, that applies, yeah. I believe. It does yeah. for me anyway. Um, on the mental side, you know, the more knowledge I have, the smarter I get, the more informed I am, the more mm -hmm. secure I am. So I'm not going to lash out when I'm confronted about things, not going to lash out. And then on the physical side, I mean, that just <laughs> it goes without saying I'm a yeah. big, strong record holding power lifter. And, 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 and when you have that physical, I don't know. I joke with my wife all the time because she's a tiny, tiny little psalmist woman. She's she's so tiny, uh, but she's got a big mouth. And she sometimes, <laughs> she, sometimes she puts herself in situations where I, I don't know. I see her testing the patience of people. Sometimes I'm thinking, you know, somebody's going to knock your head off one of these days. And I and I look at her small stature, her lack of physicality, if you will. And I and, and, it, and I marvel that she can be as confident as she is, because that small stature opens. I don't know how women date men. How, how women do this on internet dating, and you and you you go out and you're in a car, potentially in a home with a man yeah. who's three times your size and strength. Yeah. And I would I, I I just have to wonder how many women. And here we go. I might get a feminist on me now, but I wonder how many women 
overcompensate because of small physical stature or a lack of physical strength. They overcompensate and lash out and and be that classic bitter woman. Not my words, but the, in the classic sense, that bitter woman. Um, mm-hmm. uh, because they don't match up to a man physically. Now, not in, not in society in general, but I've seen this in the police ranks. Yeah. And I've seen it in the U.S. Marines, mm-hmm. where maybe a female sergeant uh, couldn't measure up physically to the troops yeah. who were under her, who were overwhelmingly male. And yeah. to over, she overcompensated and would lash out and be unfair and be harsh. So I think that tie that that ties in. I, here I'm, I'm kind of talking talking about you know this male female thing, but but again um, with you know the, the the stronger you are, the gentler you can be. You remove you remove that defensiveness in a way. There's the, and I suspect like with your wife, if she's very small, that she has an inner strength that. Oh yeah, you know, she's very strong. Personality and a strength of of uh, of self of self belief that gives absolutely. Her and that gives her that strength, and I think that's true for a lot of a lot of women. Um, and I, 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 I'm not a power lifter, but I, I do uh, <laughs> irregularly. But I do try to I do try to lift, and and I know that when I'm in a good in a good period where I'm lifting regularly, and I'm and I'm feel myself getting stronger, and I'm you know it does. It does impact your my mind as well. Well, sure, and and I don't you know to to take the focus away from women. I don't want it to sound like I'm bashing women. Quite the opposite. Uh, uh, I I am an elevator of women. <laughs> uh, you know, all all due respect, but I do. Let's let's just talk about men. I do believe that a lot of men in leadership positions, if they are out of shape, if they're physically weak or maybe short, we've all heard of short man syndrome. You know, what is that? That is just simply a man overcompensating because he doesn't have the strength or the physical stature. So let's say that you are a man who has MS. So your body is of course weakened by that physically. But if you have a man who has MS, but he's well-educated and very secure in his education and whatnot, you're not going to see that guy lash out for being, you know, to compensate for his physical weakness. Yeah. So again, I, I, tru- I believe that my statement holds true, that the stronger you are, and that means physically or mentally, the, 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 you're just not going to be that person who lashes out, overcompensates, and, and abuses people out of fear. Yeah. So yep. we can tie that into the situation, <clears throat> excuse me, with the, with the president. I truly, now he's always been, you know, ever since I was aware of who he was way back in the eighties, he's always been abrasive and, and brutish yep. and whatnot, but I think it is magnified now. And here comes that issue of strength or weakness. I true, I, th- I believe it is magnified now because he is in such a position of leadership. He should be a leader. He's not. <laughs> but he should be. He's a president of the United States. And I believe that he knows he is not qualified for that position. I believe he knows that he doesn't have the mental capacity to navigate and to steer this country in the right direction. So what does he do? He lashes out. He's hateful. He's mean. He does things out of spite. Mm-hmm. And it's because uh, yeah. of that weakness. So again, oh. the stronger you are, the gentler you can be. 
a good example of that was, you know, he was uh, mocked for, for hiding in the bunker, right? Yes. The, the, yes. And, and first he had to come out with a sort of ridiculous, no, 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 I was just inspecting it. And then he has to, you know, send tear, tear gas and, and the military, you know, or yeah. I guess it was the Guard, um, against the, to, to clear the people out and to make a sort of a hold up the Bible and, and puff out his chest and say, look how strong I am. Now, if he and, was more secure, if he had more inner strength, more, more, more confidence in himself, more strength, he would not have done that. So again, any man or woman who has the proper amount of strength, whether it be physical or mental or preferably both, then you will see they will be more stable. They will be more gentle. Because uh, uh, this, this man, he, he can go off on a tangent, on a, on a, on a well, just look at, look at what he's doing with Tulsa. Yeah. Now, he was going to have his rally on Friday, the 19th, which is Juneteenth, which would have been incredibly provocative if he would have done that. Uh, so then they announced that he's not going to do it, and everybody's like, oh, well, okay, maybe there's hope for this guy. He, he sees what was... But what does he do? He, he didn't cancel. He just moved it to the day after. He's doing it on Saturday, but still in Tulsa. And it's just... I mean, that's a position of... Weak, that is an action of a weak man. Mentally, emotionally, yeah. I, I think so too. I, I, I and I, I, that's you can often see that the the that leaders who have the most fears about their own adequacy yeah. um, are the ones who are the most control freaks. You know, micromanaging are the ones who are most likely to make threats. You know against uh, people to thinking that will motivate them well you know if 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 the president was as strong as he tells us he is then he wouldn't have to tell us that he is right <laughs> it, it would right. just it would just it, it would show we would see it we would be telling him how strong he is he wouldn't have to tell us that's right so and, and i think that applies for women that whole concept applies for women as much as it does men um uh yeah, I, mean, I, I uh, two of my daughters uh, lift weights with me when when they're in in town, um, uh, and I've, I've one who's who's sick, but does not she's chronically sick, so she's not able to to lift. But um, you know, they they really appreciate it. They like being in the free weight room with the big guys, yeah. and um, you know, and, and and doing what they can. And, and and you know, I'm I'm not a big guy, you know, big muscular guy at all, but. Um, I sort of like I, within my within my potential. I like to you know, sure, I, sure. To where I can. Yeah, and and um, and I think the same thing with with them is that it's important for them to feel like yeah. they're fit and and as strong as they can be. And I, I don't know exactly what the relationship is, but I do think that being when you when you feel like you're physically strong, it does help your mental strength. And, and, well, yeah, and again, yeah. Yeah, again, and, and when I talk of strength, I'm speaking mostly of mental strength. I mean, to me, that is, that's more important than the physical side. I think, of course, you should always take care of your body, and a, and a, and a clean body means a clean mind, strong yep. body, strong, you know, it, it goes hand in hand. But it's that mental side of things that are, uh, I don't know, if you're weak-minded, then, then it doesn't matter how much you can bench press, you're going to struggle in life. Right. <laughs> you know, and and you can have uh, you can have a bench press of, of five kilos, but if you've got the brain power to navigate through life, you're going to be quite successful. So it's the mental thing that is the most important, and I think that that is a a glaring 
there's a glaring deficiency of mental strength in the president right now. And it's, it's sad to see. I take no joy in, in, in making that statement. Uh, I think it's sad. It's pathetic and very sad to see. And it's not good for our country. He should do yoga. You know what? I, I've, <laughs> I've been saying that, that yeah. that man, he should, wow, hire me. You know what? I would do that. I would go into, I would go into business with the enemy. He's not the enemy, but <laughs> I, I hire me as a personal trainer. That would also motivate me to clean up my uh, diet and training even more, but hire me as a personal trainer, boy. And, and just let me whisper in his ear all day long, positive things, yeah, uh, motivational things, uh, uh, you know, clean up his diet, uh, for one thing, he needs to stop using ketchup on his steak. I heard that he uh, that he, uh, <laughs> he he puts ketchup on his uh, on his uh, well done steaks. On yes. his well done steaks, yeah. <laughs> but but clean clean up his diet. I wonder I wonder how much of a different person he would be if he just cleaned up his diet. There's been a lot of studies that um, removing excess carbohydrates hmm. is is almost like Prozac on people. Hmm. If you are someone who has problems with ADHD, uh, even schizophrenics, removing excess carbohydrates from their diet has turned them around without medication. Well, so, there's, there's, they've, they've been studying the, uh, the connection between the brain and the, and the intestines. Yeah, <laughs> the, almost as if the intestines should be classified as part of the brain, that right. you actually think with your gut. And when so you maybe, put, I, I, so, maybe, so what we, what we would, when we were young, they used to say, "You are what you eat." You know, that's and, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I, I spoke with, uh, I spoke with a doctor from the Balder Clinic, Balder Clinic in, in Oslo. Yeah. I don't know if you ever yeah, heard yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. he and we had a long, long discussion. He, uh, he and my wife and I, uh, about that very thing, about how the the your your digestive system is connected with your brain and how they've. And it's not, it's not a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. They've done studies, and it's been proven that by changing the diet, schizophrenics and uh, uh, schizophrenics, manic-depressive, uh, people with ADHD have, and I put it in quotes, been cured. In mm -hmm. other words, their lives have been improved drastically to where some mm -hmm. of them have been able to come off of medication just because they changed their diet. Yeah. So, I, you know, it, I don't know. Some steak and eggs and bacon and uh, sweet potato for the president. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It'll taste good too. It'll taste and it'll taste good too. Yeah. Wow. Now, wow. We we've been we've been talking two hours and five minutes now. So, uh -huh. uh, a, a slight digression back to this thing about you being in a transformative period. Uh, yeah. Where are you going? What's where is your well, next I, step going to take that. you? I, I, I'd rather say I don't know where I'm where I'm going to be headed. I can say that uh, there's certain things that I know are important for me, and one of them is that I'm able to use my knowledge and skills in a way that is appreciated by the market mm -hmm. and that is heard and makes an impact. I know that what I do has to be. Whether it's with a, you know, it could be with a new employer or whether mm. it's continuing as independent, that um, I, I, I know I'm, I'm not going to force myself to do things I'm mediocre at. Yeah. I'm not going to force myself to do things against my convictions. I have to be able to, you know, with, I've got maybe 
10, 13 years of, of working life left, right? And, and I want to use those years bringing out the best of myself. Yeah. So the part that, you know, in terms of what I'm reinventing myself, I think it's trying to move from kind of how am I going, how am I going to sell? How am I going to get, uh, you know, how am I going to get a new project? You know, trying to, to think, to thinking about what is it I'm trying to say and how can I get as many people to hear that as possible? Yeah. And, and then be open to whatever the river brings of, you know, opportunities, uh, you know, that, 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 helps to, to bring out you know i'm getting chills just hearing you say that to, yeah. to to vocalize your goal or to vocalize this new concept of yourself there's not a lot of people who do that some people are just kind of yeah you know let's just put the car in neutral and coast on down the hill and yeah. that's not what you're doing you're 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 looking Maybe for change you're, you're looking for betterment <laughs> Uh, you're right, but you know, it's not always, it ain't easy being me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no, a, it, it's a, it's a, to me, it's a beautiful thing to see. I love people who are doing things like you are, you know, looking for change, uh, looking to better themselves, looking to better themselves, not just to better themselves, but to be in a position to help people more effectively, because yeah. isn't that a huge part of what you're, what you do? I mean, it that's really your very is. job. And that reminds me of something I heard once that I that I want to repeat, and that is, um, you know, when, sometimes when people are starting out in their careers and they're thinking, oh, what is it that I that I love to do? What is it that I'm passionate about? And that's that's a fine question. But another question is, what is it that the world needs from me? How can I serve? Yeah, yeah. And 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 we then you then the connection about what am I good at? What am, what are my skill? Where where are my skills? And how can I use those to serve? And then how can I, is that something that the world is willing to, to pay for, you know, cause at the end of the day you have to pay your bills. You know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I guess, I guess I'm in the same situation as you. Uh, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm in a trans period of transformation. You know, what am I going to do with this podcast? How am I going to monetize it? Um, how can I, because I feel a lot of frustration about being here and then seeing what's going on back home. Okay. So how can I help? What can I yeah. do to shine a light on it? Is that all I can do is just shine a light on it? You know? So it's this, it's a, it's a, it's a new thought process that I found myself in where, and I've always been goal oriented and I've always been trying to help myself. I've always been trying to, um, to serve, to help, to, 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 to serve myself so that I can get better so that I can then serve others. Yeah. Uh, in whatever capacity and in, in whatever way I can find. And now it's just, uh, now it's, I don't know. It's like I've kicked it into a new gear. And well, I'm, I, you know, it was just to say that, that, that uh, fortune favors to prepared. I mean, you, you, you have, now you're getting some more exposure and, and, and so forth, but it's because you were already, you know, in your podcast and you've been, and, yeah. and you are, you are in a place where, you could you could have just been a, a a a an American, a black man, a a uh, ex cop, and people wouldn't wouldn't have asked you to go to Gumor not again, right? Yeah. That, that, that mm-hmm. was no guarantee that you would go there. Yeah. It's because you are somebody who has something to say and is and knows how to say it, and you know that you were you were already doing that work when the opportunity came. Yeah. Well, I guess I it's all. I guess. 
I'm sorry. Say again. I don't know where it's going to lead for you any more than I know where mine's going. To, my path's going to lead for me, but it's. I guess it's the key. Fun. The key is to be prepared to 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 take it in wherever you're led. You've got to be yeah. able to deal with it and take it in. Yeah, I'm sure you feel prepared. I mean, you've been doing this type of work for what? Well, yeah. I mean, thirty I, years. I have, I have something to bring. Yeah, absolutely. But it, but there's we can't sit still. You're always having no. to be got to keep looking. Work. Yeah. And, and what is it that's unique about me? I'm, I'm not going to go in and compete with a bunch of 20 year olds, you know, in computer programming. I, I'm just, that's not, that's not what I have no. to offer. So no. I think what is it that I have to offer? That's, that is unique in the sense of I have experience here. I have knowledge here mm-hmm. and I have, I have some things I've learning that have given me some convictions. Yeah. Around. Well, so, I, yeah. And that's a testament to your to your inner strength. You know, back to this whole thing about strength and the different yeah. different aspects of it, whether it's physical or or mental or this strange internal thing uh, that we all have. This internal strength, this drive, this desire to better ourselves. And then it's one thing to just want to better yourself, and then you stop with that. But you want to better yourself so that you're in a position where you can be more effective as a helper. Yeah. And that there's a, there's something beautiful about that. Yeah. Um, there is. Yeah, I I I, 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 I respect. I, I love and respect seeing that in people. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I suspect that. Um, kind of like your statement, Robert Brown, that we're all spiritual. I, I I think we also all want to to help. I, I think, think so. That, you know that that sometimes we're people are convinced that something else is meaningful, it's status, or or wealth or something like that but if if we don't feel like what we're doing has made a difference we if we look back at our lives sort of like if you go if you go you know go to the day of your death and you look say look back on your life you know feeling that i've done something positive while i've been here on earth i've I've made you know some some meaningful connections i've made life better for people i've done something that has been positive and and you don't have to be a superstar celebrity no. you don't have to be super you know edu- educated or or you know set records or anything to do that you a, a, a child who has woken love in their in their, their, their child's parents hearts yeah it has contributed something to this world you see yeah yeah. yeah, and we have to be aware of those small moments. I mean, the love of a child is not a small thing, but but it can get something as simple as that can get drowned out. You know what I mean? And and, yeah. and I, we we have to count our blessings, is yeah. what it boils down to. Um, I'm a believer in the counting of blessings. Was <laughs> yeah. well, this day that gratitude? If you. That's something I have not I, I one thing I would get better at is self-discipline. But one 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 thing I have a practice I have had at certain points in my life is to try to be remember what I'm grateful for every day, and and that makes a they've actually shown studies that that makes a positive impact on your on your psychological health is to is to reflect on what you're yes. grateful for. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just I guess my I, I with myself I try to tighten up the ship and plug in all of the holes. Um, you know, I don't want to say I aspire to be some sort of renaissance man, but I just want to, I just want to plug in all of the holes. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, for example, somebody like uh, Dwayne Johnson, the rock, that guy can do anything he wants. He's extremely Mm -hmm. physical. He's extremely cerebral. He can act, he can wrestle, Mm -hmm. 
And I, I, I don't know the guy. I would love to meet him someday, but I would imagine he is on a constant search for new challenges so that he can gain strength. And I'm not talking physical strength. I'm talking that inner strength, that inner drive, that mental, that cerebral thing, so that he will then be in a position to where he can contribute even more towards helping society. I get, I, to me, he's the embodiment of all of this stuff that I'm, that I'm talking about. I I don't think I, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's a very impressive man. Yes. Yeah. He combines he combines that that strength, which is obviously say physical strength, but also mental strength and and courage. Where he has talked about, you know, he's made himself vulnerable and he's talked about things that you know in his life that are you know have that yeah. have really challenged mm-hmm. him. Um, and I, I think that that is uh, it, that that's the kind of those are the kind of people we can hold up as. Yeah. As here's another one, Kevin Hart. Um, now he's a physical opposite. I get, now here, here we go. This, this will help me to, to express myself a little bit better. Cause I, I didn't want it to sound like I was bashing women before, but somebody like Kevin Hart, he's a real small guy. Uh, yeah. but I saw him on Joe Rogan's podcast. He's been on Joe Rogan's podcast twice. And Kevin Hart spoke of, um, his, his, his small stature, is no kind of a hindrance to him mm. because he has the proper amount of self-confidence balanced with humility. Yeah. And if he didn't have that balance, well then he would be maybe somebody with your short man's syndrome or your Napoleon complex. Mm-hmm. Cause he's really a tiny guy. You ever see him on, on these late night talk shows? Yeah. Uh, when I, when I see him on, uh, on uh, uh, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and he's sitting in that chair. His feet, he has to scoot forward on the chair so that his feet will hit the ground. That's how small Kevin Hart is. And yet, and yet it's not an issue. Uh, he's not arrogant. He's not spiteful. He's not mean because he has that other type of strength, that, uh, that, that, mental, that mental thing. And I guess my point earlier was that you find men and women who, in order to compensate for their physical stature if they don't have when they don't have that mental side then they they end up lashing out they end up being that that spiteful woman that spiteful man that guy with the napoleon complex things like that so kevin kevin hart is a good example of someone who's small in stature but it's not an issue to him because everything is in line everything is in balance the proper amount of self-confidence balanced with humility I think, and I mean, it's uh, we've been talking for a while also, but it's maybe it's a different podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, everything's allowed. Everything's whatever we talk about is what we talk about. The topic of strength is is a really is a really good one because I you know um, I, I think that often our our weaknesses are sort of too much of our strengths. You know, when we overplay our strengths, they become weaknesses. If we yeah. you know. So, um, self-confidence becomes arrogance and, you know, and, and uh, humility can become, um, uh, you know, degrading yourself if you overdo it type of thing. So it's getting this balance. I think balance is a really important word. Um, and, and, and it's probably also, it's probably somewhat individual. I, I, I do believe that for me, you know, my self-confidence goes up when I know that I'm in shape, you know, co- I, COVID has not been kind to me or I've not been kind to myself in COVID, you know, but, uh, so I'm looking, I'm thinking future, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I, 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 I am really feeling now the need to get into shape because it does 
help my mental yes as well but but it'd be really interesting to find out what how different people like if somebody who is um say mentally uh physically disabled or maybe somebody's mentally disabled you know what is where do they find strength what is it that brings strength out of them that would be a really fascinating because that's a really big word it doesn't mean I, i can i can say it this way um I have the Norwegian uh, squat record, uh, raw squat without equipment, 335.5. That's an impressive number. That's a lot of weight. It's very cool that I can do that. But you know what I think is cooler? Do you know what I enjoy more than that actual lift of uh, uh, that actual record? I enjoy the mental process. I enjoy what I did along the way mentally with the discipline uh, you know, thinking out the trainings program, the, the visualization process. You know, um, I'm more impressed that I did that. And the byproduct was the lift, the 335.5 kilos. That's right. So of all the kinds of strengths that there are, I think the mental strength, the discipline, the strength that one gets from, from discipline, to me, yep. that is much more impressive than any muscle, you know, strength, uh, you know, powerlifting type of thing. And that might be what, one reason that I, I like it when I'm in shape. Uh, I like myself better when I'm in shape. Well, we feel I, better. I, yeah, I was just going to say we like ourselves better because. Yeah. And I don't. It, it, yes, there can be some vanity in that, in how you look or how much you can lift. But I think we like ourselves better when we're in shape because we appreciate what it took to get in shape. I yeah. believe it is that mental thing that we appreciate the most. And, and I, I know um, a woman who's a yoga te- a yoga teacher and. Um, she said two couple things that, that stick with me. One is that every day go on the mats, even if you can't do a single pose, just go on the mats. You know, just get just to have that routine, that practice, that self discipline of, 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 of going there, and you might find that you have more in you than you think. Yeah. Another is that she said, "I'm not going to tell you not to eat sugar or not to eat stuff, but I know that once you start practicing regularly, you're not going to want to eat that stuff." Exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I found to be true that when I'm it's very true I'm regularly and bicycling regularly, that I eat better as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that is. It's it's almost like you you don't want to. I don't know if you paint a if you paint the perfect picture, you don't want to. You don't want to spit on it. Yeah. Or maybe you do. That's kind. Of, that might be an artsy thing. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you know, you've done you, you've done the work. You've got yourself in shape. You don't want to mess that up. You want to keep yeah, it. It feels good. It looks good. It, it's you're connecting with your body and yeah. that kind of thing. But it's it's it, it is uh, it is it is I think fascinating to find out how different people appro- approach strength. Because I mean, you, you are somebody who's strong, just you know, incredibly strong, right? And so it's it's a very natural place for you to think about how physical strength and the connection it is to your, you know, the self discipline and not yeah. the camera about to do that. Yeah. And um, and it would be interesting to see someone like someone like um, uh, Obama, who I think is somebody who has, a, has showed tremendous self discipline and restraint mm. on office. You know, oh, yes. a, yeah. Where is it that he found his strength? What is it that what is it that he did? You know, and and, and sort of. Other people that we, you know, you could people could pick different different people that have shown a strength of character. Where is it that they get that from, and, and that and that might be different for different people. But um, yeah, I think we all have. I, I couldn't lift three hundred kilos if I if I practice. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have the the body for that. But um, 
but you can have your own victories or accomplishments, you know, with, you know, you know, if, if you, um, I don't know if, if, if you, if you do, uh, if you do, uh, 10,000 steps a day on your step counter and you raise it up to 15,000, you know, there's your accomplishment. And that's what I tell people. If I, if I, if I'm training someone, I tell them, I don't expect you to be as strong as me, but I expect you to be stronger than the old you. Compete, right. compete against yourself. Set your goal, and then let's let's get started on reaching that goal. That's what I tell well, people. Well, it's interesting. A couple of years ago, I did set myself a numerical goal. I was going to I was going to uh, squat 105 kilo, right? And and I, I managed it. Yeah. But what I have done since then is like, okay, what's more important to me now than getting to some number? Because you know, instead of like, is for me to to have these process goals, I'm going to lift. A little bit more each time yeah. I go to the gym, and you know, as long as I'm reaching my 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 reps, I'm gonna. That's what's important, and right. then I'll see where it, where it heads. And for me, that I find that to be, it, it motivates me to do the right things because what I found is that when I was trying to when I was, say I'm gonna lift 105 kilo by the end of the summer, I started pushing it where I almost hurt myself. Okay, you know? yeah, I see. So the number became more important than the process of getting there where I was willing to one to thing rep when I shouldn't have done. One thing you could do is compete against the clock. You know, uh, put yourself mm-hmm. on a stopwatch and let's say you're going to do three sets. Um, you know, train the way you always train and, and then check the time. Let's say you get three sets of 10 on whatever you're squatting or on any exercise and you did it in, in five minutes. Right. Okay. Well, there's your, there's your start point, you know, uh, can you get three sets in, of 10 in four and a half minutes and and yeah. so on? Or can you get four sets of 10 in five minutes or five sets? Of, you know what I mean? So there's so many different ways to push the envelope when it comes to that physical exertion. And then again, the byproduct or actually the main <laughs> result is that you're going to gain uh, an enormous amount of discipline and self-awareness, which strengthens yeah. the mental. Yep. So the physical and the mental, they go hand in hand. I truly, I truly believe that. Yep. I truly believe that. I agree. And, and, uh, and I think that the, um, one of the things that we can, we can do is we can also sort of use our, if you, if you're, if you're, if you find yourself able to, uh, exercise regularly and you've, and you've built a self-discipline around that is to use that as a, also as a modeling for, in other areas of your life. You know? Oh, absolutely. My, my, what I do in powerlifting, it bleeds over into my day to day life. Absolutely. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, the mental discipline, the goal setting, um, the stick to the flexibility, because if something is going, you know, like right now I've, I, I'm still recovering from my last sh- shoulder surgery. So I've had to be flexible and totally rethink my training. Yeah. Um, I've turned my physical therapy actually into, a training goal, if you will. Um, that's fuck, kind of fuck. what I mean when I say re- reinventing. That's kind of what I'm talking about. I it's see. Like, it's like uh, I know what I'm good at. I know I've learned lessons, and, and then now that the world around me is changing, how do I adjust to that reality? Yeah, yeah. Bring with me the things that I know and the skills that I have and the and the strength that I have and the endurance I have and so forth. Well, I'm sure you're going to be successful at, uh, at, uh, navigating through these crazy days that we have. I mean, you're so reflective, you are, you, you know yourself and yeah. you're reflective. And even though you know yourself, you're open to change 
And I think those are the things that you've got to, uh, those are the qualities you have to have. You have to have that flexibility and be open to change and, and, and be prepared to accept that change and capitalize on it. Right. And you look and, like you. And have friends, uh, have friends that support you in this. Friends in so high that's, places. Absolutely. <laughs> that's what I, I need I, to work I, on. I, that's the connection bit. And I, and I mean, I'm, I'm so happy to, that we're getting to know each other. Yeah, and absolutely. Be, you know, we are going through similar, different, but similar processes. Yeah. And, you know, we can support each other. And, For sure. Uh, and, and I have, you know, other people that, that I have in my life that are, you know, important friends that I try to be open with around these things as well. Yeah. Um, I think that connection having, I don't want to use the word network because we were so IT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but having uh, actually friends, let's use the old fashioned word of friends of people are people who care about you, want you to succeed want you to be your best self. Well, that's one of the good byproducts of doing this podcast. I've met so, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have met you uh, because mm -hmm. I, if it wasn't for this podcast, I wouldn't have met Michael um, yeah. Wexler. Right. Um, yeah, so this podcast is open indoors and it's, uh, yeah, let's not call it networking, but I'm making new connections with people through this yeah. podcast and I love it. I wish, I wish I would have started doing this years ago when my wife first mentioned to me that I should do this. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, it seems to fit you quite well. I mean, you, oh, thanks. Is, uh, before you have a podcaster's voice. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. You know, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just talking. So, <laughs> yeah, listen, this this has been a great discussion. Uh, I'm sure you're going to do well. I want to watch you uh, as you're as you're on this path. You know, now we've met. Life now we know. Strong. Now we know each other. Uh, yeah. I call you friend. I call you brother. And I there's call you a, brother as well. We're we're connected now. Thank you. And there's always a place for you on this podcast. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna meet eventually. Eventually, yeah. things are gonna calm down with this COVID thing. I'm actually going out. I'm doing a stand up show this coming Saturday. Cool. In Dropping or in, uh, in, in Oslo, Oslo, actually in Oslo, at uh, Cafe Mead in Oslo. So this is my first time going out since all this COVID stuff, uh, and I, I I gotta admit I'm nervous. Yeah, but um, eventually this COVID stuff will wind down, and then we have to have to meet up and you know put our kids together and Absolutely. have some dinner and coffee. How old are your kids? Uh, our daughter is fourteen. Our son is twelve. She'll be fifteen here in uh, September, and our son will be thirteen in December. Yeah. And yeah. your kids? How old are they? They're in their twenties. So I've got four kids. Okay. Um, my oldest is, uh, I have to make sure I get this right. <laughs> She's 30, 28. She's 27 now. Yeah. Uh, 27, 25, 23, and 22. And I, and I also I also have my daughter back in uh, in Ohio and yeah. uh, through her two grandkids. So That's amazing. But the ones you here... Like the, a, you do not look like a grandfather. You know, I don't feel like one. <laughs> I definitely don't. In fact... Um, <laughs> the old, the oldest uh, grandkid uh, said something about his uh, his grandmother being old, and she's she's a couple years older than me. But I told what I said to my grandson was I said I'm, I'm the same age as grandma. Yeah. Are you telling me then that I'm old? And that kind of <laughs> stopped him up a little bit. He's like, okay, I take it back. She's not old then. <laughs> no, I don't know. Gra grandparent, yeah, it's uh, it yeah. happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's coming soon for me too. I'm sure. It's yeah, not, uh, one day. Nothing brewing right right now, but I'm I'm sure it's not that many years <laughs> long. 
But listen, uh, Robert, I want to I wanna thank you so much for doing this podcast. Uh, we could just keep talking on and on and on and on. I need Mark to go. You that. need to go. Uh, but, but thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you for having me on. I really, really appreciate the, the opportunity to talk to you. And it's been, uh, it's been a blast. Likewise. It's been a lot of fun. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. I'm coming home. Thank you.